So I'm not really sure how I'm going to spit this out. Hun, did you get expelled? <sighs> no, the school would most likely contact you in the event of my expulsion. Well, I was just asking. It seemed plausible. What, do you need a large amount of money? No. Legal counsel? I'm not, I'm not asking for anything. Except for maybe mercy. Like it would be friggin' sweet if no one hit me. Well, what have you done, Junebug? Did you hit someone with the Previa? No. Dude, I think it's best to just tell him. I'm pregnant. Oh, God. Yeah, but uh, I'm going to give it up for adoption. And I already found the perfect couple. They're going to pay for the medical expenses and everything. And in, what, 30-year-odd weeks, we can just pretend that this never happened. You're pregnant? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And if it is any consolation, I have heartburn that is radiating in my kneecaps. And I haven't taken it since Wednesday morning i didn't even know you were sexually active you're thinking about adoption yeah yeah and it, there's this couple they haven't had you know they, they've been trying to have a kid for like five years you found them in the penny saver next to the exotic birds and they have a legitimate lawyer and i was gonna go meet with them next weekend junebug that is a tough tough thing to do it's probably tougher than you can understand right now oh i i know and I, it's just that I'm not ready to be a mom. Do you know I'm coming with you to meet this adoption couple? You're just a kid, and I want you to get ripped off by a couple of baby-starved wingnuts. Fantastic. Here's the two best things about that little scene right there. When he says, when, when what's his name, J.K. Simmons says, baby start wingnuts, that's the line that gets all the attention. But even before that, when he says, do you need money? And then there's just that tiny little beat, and he says, legal counsel? For some reason, just the line reading on that is fantastic. The best things ever. I thought that was a scene from the Palin household. <laughs> no, Tim, but I admire your... Uh... I admire your ability to recontextualize things like that. Well done. All right. It is three minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of five, and this, the month of April, in the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. It is uh, Tuesday morning, and welcome to Day 12. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Show, an excursion into amusement. Uh, if you'd like to join us today, it's 503 733 2970. 503 733 2970. If you would like to get on more with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings of an ironic nature, whatever it is you might have. It's 503 733 2970. Greg Nibbler of the Nibblonians is standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the just plain stupid. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It is rick at... Sorry, I got some spit in the corner of my mouth. Hold on. Uh, it's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at kufo.com. Tim at kufo.com. Or nibbler with one B at kufo.com. You guys find that when you brush your teeth, uh, like it gives you excess saliva for some reason. You brush your teeth and suddenly your mouth gets all watery. 
I think you ought to see your dentist. <laughs> yeah, there's something gross going on with your mouth. Oh, well, you don't want to think about gross mouth things. Well, that's certainly uh, that's certainly not even up for debate at this point. All right. You kind of talk like a commercial sometimes, Tim. You that. Can anyone see that gross mouth on location today? If you're having excess saliva, you should see your dentist or healthcare professional immediately. Well, didn't you brush your teeth like hours ago? Trivia may cause scaling of the skin. What? Didn't you brush your teeth hours ago? No, I brushed my teeth. No, just before the, uh, well, I brushed them this morning when I got up, but I just brushed them again now. You know, your teeth are the best friend you have, Sarah. I'm nuts for oral hygiene. It's 503-733-2970 if you would like to join us today. Here's some things about which you might wish to engage us. Uh, seeing a radio correspondent, Jim Roop will be joining us from Los Angeles, where Phil Spector is A, crazy, B, guilty, C, decidedly unphotogenic at this time. And he is uh, a murderer. He really is, Tim. Uh, he doesn't just kill people with kindness, nor does he just shoot them smiles. He All he has to look, do is look at them. Kills them with guns. Shoots them dead. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us from New York City. Uh, we'll also have Dawn Taylor from Cinematical in the studio later on. She'll be bringing with her a top five. Dawn Taylor will be counting down the top five songs that Quentin Tarantino has ruined for everyone. Uh, that'll be coming up today. Dawn Taylor in the studio and her uh, top five <clears throat> as well. Katie Darrell from TMZ.com uh, uh, and uh, filmic legend Ron Jeremy. We'll be speaking with Ron Jeremy. You know what? Here's, here's why this is perfect. I just I know put it together in my perfect. head, you know, and I, I never... thought you knew that first well, thing. Well, here's the thing about it. Uh, it never even occurred to me this morning when I was reading the thing about Marilyn Chambers that we already had Ron Jeremy booked. And it never occurred to me when we booked Ron Jeremy that, that he would be able to comment on something like this. That's the way God wanted it. God waited to kill her. God, God let her hang on for just a day or two longer till we were able to book uh, the hedgehog here on the show. And then, then he decided it was time for Marilyn to come home. Uh, so we'll have a snuff watch today. I mean, it's like not a huge surprise. Uh, so Marilyn Chambers uh, dead at the age of 56, which, I mean, I thought she was way older than that. First of all, i got to say that she still looked really good. Uh, I, I mean, she she was still an attractive uh, attractive lady for a woman that, who I suspect had a lot of mileage on her um, and around her and various sections of her anatomy. She did not, I mean, she didn't look, she didn't look bad. I'll tell you, let's put it this way. She didn't look like Linda Lovelace. I mean, Linda Lovelace looked like she should have been wrapped in the Shroud of Turin uh, when she died. So, um, Marilyn Chambers, though, she looked good. So we'll talk to Ron Jeremy about that. So that is a little bit of uh, that's a little bit of kismet, right? A little bit of serendipity or a word like that. Uh, so porn legend Ron Jeremy coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, we'll be giving away another pair of tickets to see Queensryche uh, this Saturday, April 18th at the Roseland, as well as a, an entry to a private listener-only uh, KUFO performance with Queensryche earlier in the day. It's going to be like, um, like 10, 12 people in Queensryche. Uh, in a uh, undisclosed location, sponsored by Miller Lite. So that's coming up as well. Um, yes, Snuff Watch coming up today. Geek Watch coming up today. What else? Well, that's I mean that that's a lot right there. Let's just be honest. Just, just speak as adults between us here. Honestly, that's that's quite a lot of show. Is what that is. So that is all on the way. Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification on this Tuesday. Well, pirates have hijacked three more ships since we last joined you. Turns out many of these pirates aboard teenagers with automatic weapons. Oregon's unemployment rate passes 12%. There's tons of L.A. drama. Jim Roop is not going to be able to rest. Let's count all, down all these stories. Guilty Phil Spector convicted of second-degree murder. Could get 18 years. Marilyn Chambers dead. Mel Gibson's wife asked for divorce. Somebody stabbed on opening day at Doctors Stadium and the last of the Octo Babies goes home. Then the origin of Obama's puppy creates controversy. Is it a gift from Ted Kennedy's friends, a rescue from a pound? Or is there another controversy involved here? More employees are sucking up to the boss these days. Should you? 
GM recalls one and a half million rattle traps. Excellent. That's just uh, that's just some of the news we're working on today here in the Rick Emerson Show. It is uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing splendidly. Are you? I am. Excellent. How I was would... uh, a Gaslight Anthem? Dude, it was one of the greatest shows ever. It was so good. Was it the Doug Fur? It was at uh, Burbati's. Burbati's. It was crazy packed in there, and it was um, it was a lot a lot of fun. Like they're super talented, and the bands that opened for them were really good. Who opened? Was it the, was it local bands or was um, it? No, they were um, touring bands. So it was Heartless Bastards, and then this band Cage the Elephant, I think. Cage the Elephant. I'm not sure. Um, Maybe, but Heartless Bastards is the best name I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. No, they were really good. It was yeah, it was amazing. They were a little. Um, it was kind of a drunk? mixed crowd. Angry? Well, oh. No, no. Cause, well, there were a lot of drunk people there, too. But it was just a lot of also, like, really annoying girls. Because they've started playing, like, one of the Gaslight Anthem songs um, in heavy rotation in some of the stations around town. So there are a bunch of, like, really stupid people there, too. And there were these girls who kept bumping into us the entire time. Little blonde girls taking pictures. Oh, not so them, much... Were they taking pictures of themselves Watching at the, show? the concert. Yeah. Not so much taking pictures of, of the show itself, but taking pictures of themselves standing in the, in the crowd. And the weird thing about that is it becomes like an M.C. Escher thing, because that is... Taking a picture of themselves taking a picture, which is sort of then it becomes like this weird sort of attention mm. whore Mobius strip in your head. So oh yeah, it was ridiculous. So that was that's show one. Tonight is show two with um, Pennywise. Oh, that's right. That is the Jaeger Meister Music Tour for which we gave away tickets. That yes. is uh, that is happening this evening. Indeed, and Lisa Wood and I are actually interviewing uh, Fletcher from Pennywise this afternoon for the punk show. You're having quite a week, Sarah Dillon. I am indeed. All right. So yeah, so it was really cool and. Um, Ended up getting home into bed by about eleven thirty. So you know, here I wonder what percentage of photographs that are taken right now are are destined. For, I mean, they're taken for the sole purpose of being posted on on MySpace or Facebook or something. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but it is. I mean, I'm all for candid shots. I I, I guess they're sort of showing. Uh, I mean, but I guess they're not really candid. You know what I mean? There's a weird sort of there's a weird sort of dynamic at work there when you are just taking a photograph of yourself. And you're not actually doing anything, nor is there anything framed in the background no, of the shot. It absolutely really absolutely nothing, just in a crowd. It is almost like this weird Warholian thing of like, here is a photograph of me existing to take photographs of myself existing. Repeat. Po- posers. I mean, that's. I mean, it's just strange, and it, it's a thing that you never saw until five or six years ago. And it is because of sort of online social networking sites and whatever. And yeah, it's. And if you haven't uh, seen this already, so I did within the space of, of two days. I did escalate from not belonging to either uh, Facebook or Twitter to belonging to both and now posting to them compulsively. So thanks a lot, you bastards. I was going to call you out on that. Sons of bitches. I saw that you talked about yourself in the third person on this. I don't think that's true. On the Twitter. I don't think you have any choice. I think it prefixes that. You know what I mean? No, it doesn't. Let's see. What does it say? You wrote... I didn't talk about myself in the third person. That's a dirty lie. No, no, no. Rick Emerson (laughs) took part in the video shoot for Storm Large's song. No, uh, but that's how it prefixes it. That's my point. It's a... It's... That's... It's still... Let me clarify this right now. No, no, no. Because let me read you what mine says right now. Mine says... uh, Listen to the punk show. It doesn't say Sarah Dillon is listening to the punk show. Right, but my Twitter thing, it prefixes everything with the words Rick Emerson. And so I just said, took part in, and then it sticks. No, my it name always at the front does, of it. but I mean, it's your choice whether or not you want to make that a sentence or whether or not you just wanted to make it disappear. I don't even understand what, what you're yelling at me for. Okay, no, you're writing, you're taking your name and you're like talking about yourself as if you're someone else. Because mine does that too. It says like Sarah Dillon, but I just wrote like, Sarah Dillon, listen to the punk show tonight, but you wrote, Rick Emerson took part in this. You're speaking in the third person. I don't even understand. Okay. I don't understand what I'm being accused of. All I did was You're say, asked to please not do it again. Zero. Okay. You're oh. like, what you did 
is um, you're, you're speaking about yourself like in those MySpace, MySpace and Facebook updates, how we make fun of. Like you wrote about yourself in the third person. But I Rick didn't, Emerson. is my point. I, I didn't, at no point did I ever type the words Rick Emerson. No, I know, but you're taking the Rick Emerson there and you're making it into a sentence. Whereas, okay, never mind. If I just nod my head and smile, can we move <laughs> on to something else? Yes! I can't believe you don't get what I'm saying. No, because you're, you're talking about yourself in the third person. Never mind. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. Tim, it's got to stop. Don't <laughs> do it, it anymore. Right Whatever it is that's being discussed, you stop it this instant. All right. All right. And we're done. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Oh, just real quickly, um, I don't have this posted online uh, right now, but I think you probably do, Tim. Is it? Do you have the Phil Spector mugshot up at your site? I do. And I also have the uh, Glenn Beck video of the guy fainting. Here's the thing about that Glenn Beck thing. I, it's don't fake. You, see, that's the deal. Don't you just instinctively believe that everything he does is fake now? Yes. I mean, I just my default setting is that anything Glenn Beck does anywhere. Who was it? I think. Well, I shouldn't say because I, I think it was somebody who doesn't want this revealed. But we know someone. Who knows who, people? We know somebody who works with a colleague of Glenn Beck's, and I think the story that was floating around is that he practices crying before he goes on the air. Because because Glenn Beck does that. He has that weird Latter-day Jack Parr thing. Because you, know, you kids don't remember Jack Parr. In fact, I don't even really remember Jack Parr. I don't remember Jack Parr. You know, I remember, I remember watching things on television hosted by people who do remember Jack Parr. And, of course, because I have no brain of my own and I'm just, uh, I'm just a media-saturated boob, uh, it all just it conflates in my head and so, therefore, they become my memories. But Jack Parr was the guy who hosted The Tonight Show even before, before Steve Allen, wasn't it? Was it before Steve Allen? I think I he think was, was the original host. I think it was after Steve Allen. So he was, yeah, so he was uh, after and Steve then, Allen, but before Johnny before Carson. Carson. Yeah, so he's the guy who had The Tonight Show before Johnny Carson. And, but but uh, Jack Parr's whole thing was that he was just, you know, he was very sort of emotionally raw on the air. He kind of had this Howard Beale thing going on before there was even a Howard Beale. And Jack Parr would occasionally, he would, he would, something in the news, or he would have some sort of issue going on in his personal life, and he would just... I don't know, it seemed like constantly, I guess he would just sort of just have some weird breakdown in the air and just blubber like a child, which I guess was sort of real because he was looking back, he was a little bipolar or something, had a little bit of manic depressive thing going on. Glenn Beck, everybody sort of gets the feeling that guy just does it as kind of a, he just does it as sort of a shtick. So there, I'm watching this thing last night, this video clip, where there's some guest on the Glenn Beck show and they're talking about the, un- the unemployment rate or the economy or something, and the guy... The guy's pointing at some figure on a graph, and Glenn Beck says, How are you? And the guy goes, I'm fainting. And Glenn Beck doesn't even process it and goes back to the chart. And he said, So what do you think of this number? And the guy goes, I'm passing out. And the next thing, oh, on the ground. And the thing that indicates that it might be real is that the guy falls forward, which is how you faint. That's why in the movies you see somebody fall backward. That's how you know it's fake. And then they, they take different shots of him. <laughs> They've got all the camera. There. All right, camera three. Can you, get a, uh, can you get a shot that shows the pulsing of his carotid artery? The, and you totally uh, nailed that, Tim, this morning when you said that they don't cut away, which is weird. Because typically, guy faints, you just go to commercial or something. <laughs> just continue to show the guy's body on the ground unconscious, which is fantastic. Um, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Phil Spector mugshot, which Anderson Cooper kept going back to like a hundred times last night. He looks like a crazy lady. I know. It's on RileyLive.com if you want to take a look at it. It's weird. He looks. He has like a strange uh, golem in a wig thing uh, going on there. He does like a whole, you know, it, it has like a whole Phil Spector, Smeagol murderer uh, thing. It looks like he's wearing a dickie too. And what? And I don't understand the deal with his hair because haven't you labored under the illusion this whole time that that hair was completely fake? Mm-hmm. But that's a mugshot, and I don't think 
I didn't think they let you wear like a hairpiece or a, or a toupee or something in your mugshot. Or maybe they do and that's just in prison because Jackson, Michael Jackson had his on. So I guess maybe they do let you wear That y- does look toupee. like a hairpiece, too. It doesn't look real. But if he goes to jail, they'll take that thing off of him. Yes. Because that was that was the thing about us just wishing and hoping and praying all for naught, by the way, every single day that they were going to incarcerate Michael Jackson. Because I just wanted to see what Jackson looked like if they, when they hosed all that clown makeup off of him. And that didn't happen. So anyway, so we'll find out what Phil Spector uh, it looks like sans makeup. What else? Um... I have some thoughts on Barack Obama, but I'll wait because you're going to talk about this pirate thing later, right? Yes. How weird that there's pirates in the news uh, every day. So there's that. A couple of things. I saw Observe and Report yesterday afternoon. How was it? Jesus, God Almighty. I apologize for using the following phrase, but there's just nothing else I could come up with that that capture the spirit and tone of that film. I sent Chris Paddock a... uh, uh, an email about it yesterday, and I texted Don Taylor. Don Taylor being here later on today because she had reviewed it. She gave a mini review of it last last Tuesday, I think, because she saw the she saw the the critic screening. And you know, nobody. I mean, I think I speak for all of us when I said that movie just it looked bad mm-hmm. because the trailer looked so much like that Paul Blart mall cop thing, and it seemed like another kooky comedy from Seth Rogen. But it didn't seem all that kooky, and didn't seem to have all that much comedy in it. And it. It looks for all the world like something that Seth Rogen had filmed like three years ago and they kept on a shelf. And then as soon as his star was rising, they decided to go dust it off and put it out. And Dawn Taylor, whose opinion we respect a lot, said, no, no, no. She's like, ignore the trailer. Forget everything you've seen about the marketing. Forget what the poster looks like with him making the kooky face. Just go see it, but don't expect it to be just a flat-out comedy. And I... Sent Dawn uh, a text yesterday, and I sent Paddock a quick email, and then I quit talking to people about it because I wanted to sort of gather my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And Laura's probably sick of hearing me talk about it because I just kept going back to it and back to it and back to it. Uh, and then we would find ourselves in conversation about it over and over again. Probably six, seven, eight, nine times last night while we were at home, Laura and I just found ourselves sitting there just obsessively dissecting the film. Jesus, just what a mind rape of a, of a movie that is. I mean, there's just no other, there's no other uh, phrase for it. I mean, you asked me this morning if it was good, and that's just such a relative statement. Here's what I'll say about Observe and Report. I can't think that... I cannot remember the last time I saw a movie that was quite so traumatic and wonderful. And I will also tell you this, there will be zero... There will be absolutely no middle ground or gray area. Uh, on this film, I mean, there's, there's, there, there will be no no one will feel uh, sort of casually indifferent to the film. I mean, people who go to see it will either think it's the worst thing they've, that's ever been made, or they'll come out thinking it's a work of sort of singular vision. And I fall into the latter uh, category. It's just it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But let me say this about Observe and Report real quickly, and then I'll make uh, one quick note about what I did uh, last night, only because it, it is moderately interesting. Um, if you go to see Observe and Report, which I think you ought to, only because it's kind of an experience, sort of like being, uh, sort of like being kicked in the head by kind of an angry clown over and over again for ninety minutes. Don't go expecting a comedy. And when I say like, because, and I don't mean like it's a black comedy or it's a it's it's a dark comedy or it's bleak or it's you know there's a little bit of gallows humor, but I mean even the but I mean look you what think of the think of the grimmest movie you can possibly uh, remember. You think of the darkest movie you've ever seen. And even those movies have a little bit of humor. You know, think of a movie like Seven or Boogie Nights or whatever. Those, you know, films that have a real bleakness to them. Even those movies have got some comedy. You know, there's some, because it can't just be nothing uh, but doom the whole time. Mm-hmm. So 
It's not like Observe and Report is even really like a bleak comedy. It's almost just not a comedy at all. That's the thing. I Here's why you got to see Observe and Report. If for no other reason than to imagine what it must have been like when that movie got turned into the studio and what the studio guys must have thought when they were screening it. I cannot imagine the reaction that happened inside uh, uh, the legendary film studio when they sat there and screened this thing that was turned into them. I mean, it is... It's... A thing. It's amazing that that movie ever got released, much less released the way that it is now. And I guess... Apparently, they made the director go back and shoot a, t- a toned-down, softer, happier version. And I'm a, and that one, I guess, tested really badly for some reason. And so they released his original cut, which is just astounding. It's like watching... It, Observe and Report is like being in the middle of a mental breakdown. It is like it is like a roller coaster ride through the mind of someone who is having a complete and utter nervous collapse. Um... It, it, it's it's quite something. Uh, it really is. And again, you may not, you may hate it. Uh, you may see, you may, you may go see it and be like, this is this is crap. And you know what? That'll be a perfectly valid opinion. It's not one of those movies where if you if you don't like it, I go, you're wrong. I mean, it is possible to loathe the movie and it's possible to love it. And I, it just, but you ought to see it because it, what it does not do is is play it safe or hew to any of the same sort of formulaic crap that you see over and over again. I mean. How often do you say to yourself, well, you know, movies are all the same and nobody ever takes any chances? You cannot say that about, about Observe and Report. It's, it's astounding. So, anyway, so that being said, uh, just real quickly, and there's no photographic evidence of this up yet because I haven't had a chance to post the picture. So now I'm all going to be uh, freaked out that I'm speaking about myself in the third person. I'll explain it to you during the break. <laughs> because I because here's the, because I'm because I'm a retard. Now I'm posting to Facebook via Twitter because I guess they're linked. Yeah, because I saw also that you're like, what does that mean? It says like you're doing it from Twitter. Meaning now if I if I put something on Twitter, it automatically duplicates it on Facebook. Ooh, that's neat. I wouldn't even know how to do that. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Seamus uh, told me how to do that. Anyway, so I don't have a photograph of this up. A photograph. I don't have a lithograph of this up. I have a little post about it. I had the greatest Portland experience yesterday. Um, I took part in, there's, in in at least a section of the video shoot for Storm Large's new single, uh, which is called... Uh, it, it's about her... Uh, and and I, I really shouldn't even say the title on the air. I probably could, but I won't. Uh, you can see it if you go to uh, my Facebook page. You go to... Uh, I don't think it's at rickemerson.com yet, but if you go to my Facebook page, you can see it. But Storm is they're shooting a video for Storm's new single. Uh, local auteur James Westby is filming that. And so I, because I've said this, this is not a big secret. I have I have a tiny, tiny, tiny little, almost like a cameo in, on the song itself. Me what and do you do? Uh, I, I'm I'm a background singer at one point, and it's it's me, Davy Nipples, Marcus Cito, a uh, local writer, uh, you know, entertainer, um, former opera singer, uh, etc. Um, or Who I else? guess retired opera singer. Mm. Um, did I mention Sam Adams? <laughs> Oh, was he there? No, he sings uh, on the song, uh, but he uh, he is not he uh, he's not in the video. Anyway, so we were at Mary's Club, uh, and so it's me, Byron Beck, Marcus Cito, Mark's partner Floyd, uh, Davy Nipples. Storm was there, but just sort of observing. James Westby filming, and then it's us at at Mary's with these unbelievably hot uh, 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 girls like on stage behind us. And was the girl with the strings working? No. Well, wait a minute. I think it might have been her actually. Yeah. I mean, what girl? <laughs> I love my wife. Uh, so it was, just, and just sitting there singing about Storm's vagina. 
uh, over and over again for two hours. And there's a photograph that I'll show you, sir. I haven't had a chance to post it yet. I okay. will post it. But it's a picture of me and Marcosito. Um, and in the background, all you see, I guess the stripper was doing some thing of like a backflip or something. And so you just see kind of her legs behind us. And it really is just... So the video uh, is going to be done soon. I guess the CD is out now. Um, and this is not, I'm not plugged, this is not a paid plug or whatever, I'm just saying it's, uh, the, it, the, uh, the CD is crazy enough by Storm Large, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty great, I do say that, uh, with all, uh, with all honesty, it's just fantastic, and the video is gonna be quite wonderful, but it was just a great little Portland moment, you know what I mean? It's like Storm, and Davey, and Byron, and Marcosito, and me, and at Mary's Club, and then singing, you know, singing about vagina. So it was just a, it was just a great moment. It really was, and so that's what I sent that Twitter thing uh, about. Cool. Now I gotta go check all my settings in Twitter. All right, uh, it's the Rick Emerson Show. Straight ahead, uh, we will be speaking to uh, CNN Radio correspondent uh, Jim Root. But prior to that, Tim Riley will uh, join us around the corner with the news. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. Right across his posterior on Rock 101 KUFO. <laughs> It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101, KUFO. That's one of those songs that just sort of, uh, you wonder if somebody's kicked the CD player uh, I know, I feel like it was out. clipped wrong or something. Well, it's, uh, it's all part of their uh, unique artistic style, sir. Mm. It's uh, the Rick Emerson Show. It's 503-733-2970. It is Tuesday morning. Uh, coming up later on the day, we'll talk to Ron Jeremy. We're going to get his thoughts on the passing of Marilyn Chambers, uh, which, I didn't, where is it that she passed away? Is it sun, it wasn't Sunset, uh... No, I think it was Laurel Canyon, canyon or one of those canyon roads. Right, so it seems like she was doing uh, fairly uh, well for herself yeah. at this uh, at this stage in the game. Well, good for her. Anything that has the, the name Canyon on the end usually means that it, it's quite a sprawl. That's in the uh, seven it, figures. It means it's not in Van Nuys. Um, nobody wants to die in Van Nuys, Tim. Uh, Don Taylor from Cinematical coming up later on. Katie Darrell from TMZ. Tim Riley is tracking the following headlines on this Tuesday. Well, lots of stuff happening in L.A. First, he is guilty of sin. Phil Spector, we knew it all along. Marilyn Chambers found dead. Mel Gibson's wife wants a divorce. Somebody stabbed an opening day at Dog Drew Stadium. The last of the Octo Babies go home. A guest faints on Glenn Beck's show. Who popped me up with this one? You okay? Okay. Somebody help him, please? Somebody help? Nobody's helping. They're they're moving we'll back. back. We'll be getting back a better shot. They're holding the shot on the guy lying on the floor. It's so weird because nobody it's so weird. That's the sort of thing that you, know, you see this depicted in old movies sometimes where something happens on the screen and suddenly it goes to the this did not fade to black. No, or it goes to that uh, experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. And then there's like a picture of a squirrel biting through the power cord or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, yeah, you're right. They just oh, cut to like, okay. Right, camera three, hold okay. it. Can All right. Help him, please. Camera can we two. Get, can we get a shot of the head Long on the shot, floor? The camera back moves back. It holds on the guy on the floor. This is going on for several seconds here. It's it's sort of weird. Well, you got to figure that the crew... Fade to black until he dies. The... The the crew that works on the uh, the Glenn Beck show they've got it. Those guys are probably they're probably a little battle hardened at this point because it, whether they're real or contrived, that guy just has a bunch of weird you know sort of tantrums all the time. So they, 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 it, you got to figure they're prepared for any eventuality. All right. Oh, the origin of Obama's puppy creates a controversy. Is it a gift from Ted Kennedy's friends, a rescue from a pond, or is there a conspiracy theory involved here? So I got Obama uh, notes that we'll get to in just a second. So what we'll do is a straight-ahead Jim Roop will be joining us from Los Angeles. He will weigh in on the Phil Spector thing because he's kind of been – and I think he was thinking that Spector was going to was gonna walk. I, it, I might be wrong about that. 
But I think his prediction was the Spectre will get off. But uh, So we'll talk to Jim Roop, and then uh, Tim Riley will join us from the news desk. Later on today, uh, Katie Darrell from TMZ, and more tickets to Queensryche this Saturday at the Roseland, as well as entry to a private listener-only KUFO performance by the band, uh, sponsored by Miller Lite. So it's the Rick Emerson Show. It is... Rock 101, KUFO. Broadcasting from the greatest city on earth. The Rick Emerson Show returns on Rock 101, KUFO. It's so awkward. I guess you never grow up. You just get older. I, in particular, never go. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It is <clears throat> Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. It's Tuesday morning. It's 503-733-2970. Just ahead, Tim Riley at the news desk from Los Angeles first, though. This is I love Jim Roop reporting live for CNN Radio. Hello, sir. How are hey, you today? I'm good. How are you? I am fantabulous. Um... Let's just get this out of the way. That's one heck of a mug shot or booking shot or whatever that thing is of Phil Spector. What, <laughs> what, what, where is that photo from? Uh, I haven't seen it. Oh, you do, are you kidding me? You don't know what I'm talking about? The no. f- Anderson Cooper kept going back to this like a hundred times last night. The Tim, do we know from where that photo was taken of Phil Spector? No, but it's great. Okay, so the next time uh, you're, uh, you know, you get a chance to sort of go online. Well, what's the hairdo look like? It is. It, it's basically what he had on in court. It's like that weird. Like Jimmy Page, uh, circa song remains the same, kind of long and curly down to his shoulders. Lady cop kind of hair. Yeah. Uh, what what color tie? What color suit? Blue suit, red tie. I don't. know. Tim, do you have the uh, the Let's photo? Up? Let me, uh, I, let me I go do. to the website. It's, he kind of looks like Dobby the hel- House Elf. Yeah, he totally looks like somebody might from be yesterday. Then he yeah he kind of looks like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it might be yesterday, but uh, the red tie and blue suit. It's yesterday's photo. No, no, no. It, it almost looks like prison garb. Actually, it's it's a blue oh, yeah. blue over white. Well, then it is. Boy, it's okay. When you when you get a chance, you go to Tim Riley's website, which is RileyLive.com. It's uh, it's quite something. He, uh, it looks as though he does look like some sort of J.R.R. Tolkien creature who is looking out from the screen to try to capture your soul. I got to tell you something, man. Yesterday he walked into the courtroom and his mouth was open as if he had lockjaw. Yeah, that's yesterday's booking photo. Yeah. Uh, um, not booking photo, but verdict photo, if you will. Uh, processed. He was processed into the into the court system, into the jail. Right. Um, yeah, he his mouth was hanging open as if he had lockjaw. I thought he was yawning at first. Right. But it stayed there for a long, long time. And I mean, is this? Well, you got to figure he's just doped up on a billion different medications all the time. Well, that's one thing the judge says when they took him uh, when they took him away. He said, uh, you know, we understand Mr. Specter's on medication. We'll get with his wife and. Uh. And get those things for Wait, him wait, hold on. Get with his wife? I didn't know he was married. Oh, he's got a, a beautiful young wife. I had no. I've been with him the entire both trials. Well, uh, very a cutie. Well, uh, all right then. You learn something every In day. Fact, she was sanctioned by the judge a few times for speaking out to the press during that first trial. That's right. I do remember that. Yeah. It's all coming back to me now. He so kept their mouth shut through this these last five. Months. I would think if I were uh, if I were married to Phil Spector, I think I would have learned uh, by now probably uh, any number of methods to uh, avoid being on his bad side. That's uh, just speculation. So this she so, must be breathing real easy right now. I well, you know what? Uh, I probably a good night's sleep for the first time in many years. Could very well be. So unless of, he was so doped up, you know, that he slept through the night anyway. You know. Well, so the, so what is the deal? So they got him. They booked or they convicted him of second degree. And so what is what does that mean? In other words, why second degree, not first? What's the distinction? Uh, 
Is it like a premeditated versus not, or or I wonder? Yeah, he wasn't lying in wait. It wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily planned. Right. You know, premeditation. It, it it happened as a result of rage. All right. Um, so it, it it it's it was um, while he's responsible for it, it wasn't one of those things where he planned it, stalked her, right. hid in a bush. Kind of thing. So this and here's a dumb question. So he's he's in jail now, or he's yeah. okay? Oh, he's, yeah, they took him away right away. The prosecutor made a good point. You know, yeah, he's he's attended every hearing. He's been great these past six years, but he's got a little motivation now not yeah. to show up. Oh, I would think yeah, he's, he's a what convicted the, murderer. What they call a flight risk. Oh so, yeah. So what is the what is the next the next step here? Or is the next step that he just stays in jail like for the next twenty years or whatever? Yeah, May 29th he'll be sentenced, but he's in jail, and and he'll be in jail even through the entire appeal process. And and his lawyer talked about an appeal, saying how the uh, there was so many legal errors. The judge made errors in in allowing certain evidence, like the testimony of the five women in the first trial. So uh, he's going to try his best to to finagle the system, to have the appeal put aside, pen, or have the verdict uh, set aside on appeal, but. Even if that happened, because I asked yesterday, well, what happens if it does? Uh, if 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 this is set aside an appeal, he has to remain in jail anyway. Even mm. the lawyer said that. Mm. So, you know, even if he only gets, even if he gets 18 years and he's eligible for parole in six, you know, this is or 12 probably. Uh, this is still a life sentence for him. Well, this is he's not. This is not another. I don't know how old he is, but he's not the picture of health. He's 69. Yeah, and he's uh, he doesn't look like his uh, body is a temple. No, really. man. I, you know what? I, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was looking at him yesterday, going like, man. Six years ago, when all this began, he was very animated yeah. with that fright wig thing and and talking as he entered the courtroom. Now he can barely move. I mean, he has aged exponentially. Over the past six years. Well, I can't even imagine the, the you know, the, the, the stress. I mean, that's got to just take the biggest toll physically, emotionally, and all that stuff is just tied together. I mean, it's just, you're right. It's got to age you in dog years almost. Um, so it just, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's probably too soon to even start to kind of getting our heads around this. But it, I think it, it's worth stepping back for a second and just it, uh, really acknowledging what a huge, massive fall this is i mean in terms of i mean obviously it's been a long time since phil fetcher's had a lot of hits or whatever but you want to talk about a guy who by some estimations is the most important and influential music producer in history i mean you know it is not out of the it would not be an unreasonable statement to say that he is the most influential producer in all of contemporary american music i think it's safe to say that yeah i think you know you can liken his his contribution to record producing as you could elvis's to music in general. Absolutely. You know, and so, or, or, or even the Beatles, it, their influence on music. So, um, yeah, it, it, it really is. And that's kind of some of the stuff we were asking the, the defense attorney yesterday. What is this, what kind of tainting does this right. do to Phil's career? And um, he says, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I can't speak to that. You know, there are so many people who don't really know who he is anyway. Right. Um, but... It's, it, it really is sad. I mean, he brought all this on himself. He's, he's a nutcase. He's been that way for years. Uh, I, I, I was shocked on the second-degree murder. I really thought it was going to wind up being involuntary manslaughter. But the jury, uh, the foreperson yesterday said, look, we looked at the entire picture. Right. And e even though we thought the defense was great, they mounted a great case, if you take a look at it, the entire picture the man's guilty, uh, and, hey, and it was unanimous. And just as we wrap this up, I can't remember. Did you think he was going to walk, or did you think that they would hit him with something? I thought involuntary manslaughter. All right. I didn't think he would walk on this one. Yeah.
Wow. All right. Uh, well, on that note, I, get, I know you got a busy day, so we will uh, we'll let you I'm never go. too busy for you. Uh, thank God bless you, Jim Ruby. You're a good person. That's all, I'm all right. Enjoy your day, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, Jim Ruby in Los Angeles. Pardon me. I've got a little... Um, ah! We'll take this opportunity while I clear my throat. But it's Tim Riley at the news desk. In the news with Tim Riley. Oregon's jobless rate has taken a dramatic jump, 12.1%. A rate seen only once before since World War II. That could put Oregon on the pace to have the highest unemployment rate in the nation when those figures are released on Friday. Michigan currently has the highest rate at 12%. But 12.1%, that's even bigger, isn't it? So uh, I'm sorry, and I, it's not that I wasn't listening. I was just trying desperately to like, clear whatever is in my throat that was blocking did you my... Did uh, you do that? Yeah, it was like I had... You know, do you ever do this where you, throw, you get... It, it, you can almost sense like it's a single dust particle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like you get a corn chip in your throat. It's, you almost feel like it is a tiny atom of dust. Yes. And then it's just kind of gumming up the whole works. All right, so we have... Would you just, just give me just a bullet on that again? We have what here? 12.1%. Is that the highest anywhere? Uh, did you say well, it's higher than Michigan? Well, Michigan hasn't released theirs yet, but their latest was 12%. And ours is 12.1? 1%. So we're still waiting for them to release their newest one to see if we beat them or not. It's like a reverse, it's like a reverse silent auction or something. Mm-hmm. It's, like a, it's, like a, it's like you're bidding for a job that no one wants. Yes. God. So, 12.1%? Yeah, it's not good. It, that's the highest since when? Uh, 1947. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would it have been so high in 1947 if everybody was home from the war? Well, I guess maybe that's why. Well, maybe. Well, well, the women took all these guys' jobs, and they're trying to convince women to go back in the kitchen and do what they're supposed to do so oh. the guys can get their jobs back. Oh, I see. This they is uh, feminism not, is to blame for this, this, isn't it, Tim? It's Ozzy and Harriet's fault. All right. No, no, no. I see. This is uh, this could be laid at the feet of uh, – this is all Bill Clinton's fault, Tim. That's what this is. Hillary so, Clinton in her pantsuits. That's, it's exactly. Um, Jesus, 12.1. I mean, that's astounding. Yeah. All right. No, it's it's bad out there. I mean, everywhere. All right. Uh, Well, let's do uh, a couple more, uh, and then we will take a break. We'll come back on the other side with more news. All righty. Well, it started out as an argument between a mother and son. It changed dramatically when a shotgun came out. Uh, Apparently, a mother and son are having an argument in Klatskanai. She was complaining that her son was inactive and lazy. (laughs) Eric, son, you're inactive and lazy. So at some point, uh, a shotgun was produced. A struggle ensued between a deputy and the suspect. A shot rang out, and the suspect alone was injured. Wait a minute. So a shotgun was produced makes it sound like Joe Bluth is conjuring it out of, like, from underneath a cape or something. And for my next trick, ha! Well, the mom was tormenting her son for being inactive and lazy. But, I mean, who shot, like, who brought out the gun? Uh, Apparently the son did. Well, the, uh, let's see, uh, that's certainly some kind of activity. He pointed, you see, he pointed the gun toward the deputy and his mother. Well, he's motivated in certain areas, at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know, with kids, it's all about finding their interest. Him, and in this case, he's his interest. He's thirty-six and lives with mom. Oh, <laughs> well, never mind then. He's inactive and lazy, according to his mother. <laughs> in Klatskanon, <laughs> what? With, with a bright future ahead of him. <laughs> what must you do to be classed as unmotivated and lazy in Klatskanai? Oh. So that's how all this started. So. Well, there you go. All Perhaps right. mother is right. Let's uh, do this. On the other side, Tim Riley returns to the news desk with uh, more information for you on this Tuesday morning. Uh, also coming up today, Cena Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Later on, Don Taylor. Also, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. And Ron Jeremy weighing in on the death of Marilyn Chambers. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO.
It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. That album is fantastic, by the way. If you don't own it, uh, you must. You must be there. You must be there. Uh, it is uh, 503-733-2970 on this Tuesday morning. Coming up later on, Ron Jeremy will speak with us about the death of Marilyn Chambers. Uh, we'll also talk to Don Taylor from Cinematical, Katie Darrell from TMZ, and Steve Kastenbaum uh, from New York City. And uh, I think I th- we're, we're going to make a sort of ad hoc alteration to the to today's lineup. We were going to be doing today's uh, the top five songs that uh, that Phil Spencer. Phil Spector doesn't ruin songs. He just ruins people. Uh, we were going to do the top five songs ruined by Quentin Tarantino. Um, but I think we are going to make a, an adjustment here. I think we'll do the top five Phil Spector uh, singles of all time. Top five uh, singles produced by Phil Spector. In the meantime, in between time, this is Tim Riley at the News Desk. In the News with Tim Riley. The uh, Trailblazers are going to hold a giant rally. Pioneer Courthouse Square Thursday afternoon from noon to 3. You can give them a send-off as they uh, celebrate the Blazers' first playoff appearance since 2003. Everybody from the Blazers is going to be there at 2 o'clock. Also, the Blazers have announced tickets for the first two home playoff games. will be on sale Thursday at noontime at the Rose Garden. Less than 1,000 tickets are expected to be available, so get them while you can, before the scalpers do anyway. Uh, so we have some fantastic sound for you today. We told you the story yesterday about the guy who... Flew an airplane after the pilot dropped dead, one of the passengers. Right. Didn't know how to fly the plane, so he calls up a friend. He had some pilot experience, but not on this plane. There were six people aboard this small plane when the pilot uh, dropped dead at 10,000 feet. So he calls a friend in Connecticut asking him how to land the plane. And this guy is talking back and forth to air traffic control. Well, what kind of plane is this? It was probably like a, a Cessna, but a big one. So this is, well, first, so well, let me understand It's a this, small Tim. passenger plane carrying six people. So you're actually saying that having a cell phone on an airplane saved everyone's lives. That is correct, yes. Oh, all right. No, but you can't use a cell phone on an airplane. No, no, no. It'll make it crash. That's crazy talk. Blow it up. Um, <laughs> It'll get the pilot a heart attack. And so before we... Never mind. <laughs> wow. Uh, too soon. The, right. uh, um, but my other question before we play the sound is, I guess I say this and then somebody, and, I, and then the question is, do I, do I really care enough to sort of. And you know you do. My thing is, how does that even work? Because if you're flying, aren't you flying above cell phone, uh, cell phone towers? I mean, aren't you like above? And I guess maybe, I don't know how cell phone towers work. I, did, the, did, the, did the cell phones, I thought they radiated down, but maybe they just go in every direction. You know they what? Might. Never mind. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. All right, here's the uh, sound. So the cell phone works. So here he is uh, speaking with air traffic control trying to land this plane. Are you using the autopilot or are you flying the airplane? Man, the good Lord, hand flying this 9 Delta Whiskey. Okay, very good. Thank you. 9 Delta Whiskey, are you a licensed pilot? No time, single engine land. Sounds like 9 Delta Whiskey. Sam Elliott. Okay, very good. Oh, yeah. Yes, buzzers going off here, gear control or something. I don't know. Okay, sir, in that case, just level off when you're comfortable. And uh, I'll get you an answer on that in just a moment. We got a light blinking on the pilot's panel. It says AP disc. What's that mean? AP disconnect or something? Hey, we're getting that information right now. They're listening. That's to the you. self-destruct button, oh, sir. I'm sorry. Good. You're right on the money. You're lined up for the runway. So altitude, your discretion. You can proceed visually, and just let me know when you have the gear and the flaps down. All right, gear going down. And he landed. Wow. That, I like that guy. I don't even know who he is. Uh, that's a, that kind of sounds like the knife guy. <laughs> kind of. I was going to say that. He sounds like the knife guy. He sounds like Sam Elliott. Or he sounds uh, kind of like um, like a cross between uh, Peter Gibbons' next door neighbor in Office Space and Boom Hour from King of the Hill. He has kind of that, you know, kind of the dang old man, dang old you know, the autopilot. You know, that sort of like the weird, like that kind of hillbilly gibberish thing going on. That's pretty badass. And it's, I mean, I can't, I guess it must be that thing where you get terrified later. 
because he sounds very calm because probably in the moment you are forced to be probably your uh, whatever you like your adrenaline your 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 epinephrine or whatever it is your, your brain fires out that fight or flight stuff and you probably just focus uh you also got to give it up to the air traffic control guys because you always hear <laughs> you know that that's such a stressful job and that you know they're the very definition of calm and cool and collected under pressure but you really hear it there that the air traffic guy doesn't sound rattled at all Mm-mm. even though you know he's probably off mic going oh i'm going to die no 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 it's we're going to need to spray the runway down later. It, oh, no, 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 sir. You'll be fine. It's uh, put your flaps down. Put your, no, all hope is lost. But you, but he doesn't, it, none of it reflects in his voice. I mean, he's absolutely rock solid. Excellent. That's a good story. That's a feel good story, Tim. You betcha. The drama of the high seas continues with a word of not one, but two fresh ship hijackings by the pirates of Somalia. A Portuguese warship received a distress call from a Greek owned ship just uh, moments after it was seized in the pre dawn hours. The merchant ship is carrying a crew of 22, all believed to be from the Philippines. Not longer than after that, a uh, group of pirates grabbed the MV Seahorse off the Horn of Africa. Both of today's seizures come in the wake of Sunday's successful rescue of Captain Phillips. Seizure. I barely knew her. So these pirates are like 17 to 19 years old. Just a bunch of bored kids from Somalia with nothing better to do with their time. You kids stop that piracy this instant and come on inside. Wipe that mud off your feet. Uh, people have been uh, buzzing that Chris Brown has moved on to a uh, new woman. This looks like it says raw woman, but a uh, new woman. Uh, multiple reports state that Chris is uh, getting over Rihanna with a uh, gracious singer named Natalie Mejia. After the two of them were photographed together on Saturday on a West Hollywood taco, uh, taco parlor, the Tattoo Maria. Where, that must be new. Uh, Chris was in Hollywood at the uh, tattoo parlor with a woman from the recording studio named Dean who was getting a tattoo. Chris did not get a tattoo, say, says the singer's rep. Uh, so it's closed and Natalie confirms that the rumors are all talk. They met recently, they're friends, that's it, said the insider. So uh, what's the latest on uh, Chris and Reed? They've decided to uh, spend time apart. Okay. But it's good to say that he's found love again, uh, allegedly. Or, or but they not. were together this past weekend. Hmm, says the story. Oh, my God. Well, he is a, he is a striking young man. It's quite the winner. What can you do? Uh, GM is recalling 1.5 million rattletrap cars. There's a fear that they may start on fire. All the more reason to go out and buy one today. Yes, the possibility of engine fires has prompted GM to recall 1.5 million sedans manufactured between 1997 and 2003. I mean, we might as well give these to the Chinese to build, really. The uh, problem uh, involves a potential oil leak that can start a fire. When the car operates under normal conditions, the manifold can get very hot. Isn't that the object of it? Oil then turns uh, below the manifold's heat shield and could ignite and burst into flames. But nobody figured this out before now. So, there you go. So, so basically everything they've manufactured... (laughs) Get burst into flames. Duly noted. We might as well keep them around. They're such a valuable (laughs) commodity. I'm going to donate more money, Tim. In fact, I wish that uh, maybe they could just put a big PayPal button uh, like like at their website or something. Would you like to donate seven more dollars to help keep everything running? Fantastic. Click yes. here. A man robs a home then apologizes. Authorities in New Hampshire are investigating a burglar who robbed a home and apologized to the homeowner and returned the stolen goods before leaving. The homeowner returned to his place in Pelham last Friday afternoon, discovering that somebody had broke in. He also saw somebody leaving through the back door with electronics and jewelry. The homeowner confronted the burglar, who said he was very sorry. He then carried everything back into the house and left. Oh, so this wasn't like he came back, like he broke in later to return everything and left a note. No, he was caught removing it. Oh, well. And decided to be gracious and... 
Jesus. Have you ever caught anybody burgling you or, you know, like stealing anything or like... Never. It's never happened to me. See, I don't think I ever have either. I'm trying to think about it. I think the closest I've ever come is I heard a guy like screwing around with my car some years ago and I went out and I sort of just saw like the the figure like fleeing into the night or whatever. Mm -hmm. But... That's gotta be, that's gotta be a, a, a very distinctly unnerving sensation. You walk in and some guy's rifling through the silver drawer or something. And you, cause you always just assume that, you know, you always assume that he's on the PCP and that he's got a gun and so forth. But I like the idea that he was just so easily cowed that he has, no, 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 let me put these back for put you. Put that back right no, now. I'm sorry, sir. Let me just uh, take off. All right. They probably do the same thing. Academy Award winning deaf actress Marlene Matlin is accusing William Hurt of hurting her. But they worked together as co-stars back in the 1980s. On Monday night's episode of The Larry King Show, Matlin said through an interpreter that a number of elements led up to the alleged abuse. It was both of us. There was so much going on with the film, with him being older, me being younger, not seeing eye to eye in a lot of things, and being drunk and being high and all meshing together. There was violence. So this is when they did Children of a, a Lesser, Lesser God. God yeah. Uh, yeah, this is. And how, how perfect that his name is William Hurt, by the way. Her new book is entitled I'll Scream Later. Creepy. Uh, Wow. Are you serious? <laughs> Jesus. I guess William Punch and, like, William uh, Assault uh, weren't available for dating. Good God. I was supposed to go with, like, William Brown. I was expecting that. Nah, see, I was no. just, uh, I'm sorry. This is just too much material that I work with. First of all, let me just say that I find Marley Matlin uh, unbelievably hot. Uh, it, notwithstanding that horrible, uh, do you remember that outfit she wore when she won the uh, the Academy Award? Because she won an Oscar for that. She won yeah. uh, for Children of a Lesser God. And I forget, I forget if she... I don't think she had the interpreter. I think she signed, and then she did. You know, she, you know, and she's, uh, uh, you know, it's it's not like you have difficulty understanding her. I mean, she actually has she has pretty great enunciation. But um, but and she, she had, dated Rob Lowe too. Really mm-hmm. good for you, Rob Lowe. Well done. Uh, the uh, and then she was on the West Wing as political consultant Joey Lucas. Uh, the but she had that thing when she won the Oscar. She was dressed like a fairy nymph or something. You know, she was dressed like she was sort of like. Like you kept it, she was like all Galadriel or whatever her name is from Lord of the Rings. It's just a, it was a truly unfortunate outfit. Um, but, uh, well, that has William Hurt responded to these uh, allegations? I'm looking here. I guess he hasn't even been contacted yet. All right. Well, so the, 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's always fun. Hey, honey, why don't we watch uh, Larry King tonight and see what's on there? And, you know, and then meanwhile, well, there's Marley Matlin talking about how he blackened her eyes or whatever it was she was claiming. Was she claiming it was physical abuse? Uh, let's see here. She's not saying very much. Yeah, you see, have I'm... to read her book. I'll scream oh, later. Oh, there you go. That according so. to uh, her uh, translator guy. I knew when I wrote the book that I would show people that I was able to overcome it all. How else could I be here today if I hadn't overcome it? It's all inside me, but I know that there are so many people out there for whom my message, hearing this message, can help them. And they could do something on their own. Here's the thing about Marley Matlin. Uh, first of all, I mean, it, it's a testament to how good an actress she is. You know, because obviously, you know, she's, she's deaf, and so it's not like, I mean, her vocal skills are not as, uh, it, it's not as developed as they would be if if she were hearing. But um, it's a testament to how well she acts that it never seems like stunt casting. Because when you see her in something, you're not, the whole time you're not going, hey, it's that hot deaf chick. Uh, you just, like, you're just, you know, you just sort of forget about it, and she becomes the character. But I was thinking about this, too. Do you suppose that other deaf people sort of, it, that they kind of did, you know, that they, that they sort of hate her because she's kind of cornered the market on that? You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know, we needed a deaf actress. Get me Marley Matlin. I mean, it's like she just gets, I mean, she has right of first refusal on all deaf roles, uh, like everywhere, always. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's so it's like, uh, I don't know, it's like if you're some actor with a, with a, with a, with a hook or something. You know what I mean? Uh, we need a guy with a hook. And then you go right to, you know, whoever. That's just her niche. That's, well, everybody's got to own, you've got to own a brand, Tim. Mm-hmm. All right, it's 503 733 2970. It's the Rick Emerson Show. 
Still to come, Steve uh, Kastenbaum in New York City. Later on, porn legend Ron Jeremy about the passing of porn legend Marilyn Chambers. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Now broadcasting everywhere. One time, I did actually confess that I uh, made out with my teddy bear. The Rick Emerson Show returns on Rock 101 KUFO. I wonder how many times a day Lisa regrets making that observation on the air. Oh, it's yeah. genius. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's 503-733-3970. Thank you for coming along. It is Rock 101 KUFO. Still to come today, uh, we'll talk to Katie Darrell from TMZ and porn legend Ron Jeremy about the passing of Marilyn Chambers. Uh, plus, we'll count down the top five Phil Spector uh, productions. It's 503-733-3970 from New York City, ladies and gentlemen. So welcome now. CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Casterman. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Was that Lisa Desjardins making that revelation? Why, yes, it was. Uh, we were Spirit. talking about something a few weeks ago. I don't remember how this... No, we're talking about uh, confess- confessionals. I remember that, but it's like in what context were we even talking about... You know, because Lisa and I both uh, both grew up uh, a Catholic, and uh, though I have fallen away from the uh, from the faith, it's a thing that comes up every now and again. Because, and I, because I think there was some sort of... Who knows how these things even start? It was something where I was prompted on the air to correct somebody about something in a Catholic prayer. Like there was some, some, some. Uh, oh, she was saying like the act of contrition or something. She was referring to a Catholic prayer called the act of contrition, and I and I think I was uh, and and she'd gotten some of the words wrong, and so I was sort of smugly correcting her. And then we got into this whole thing about confession, and <clears throat> you know, in in the Catholic faith. There's, you know, when you, you do going, you, you know, you, you're supposed to do it every so often, especially if you go to a Catholic school. Uh, we had to do it every Friday, where you go and you kneel in this little box, and the priest opens like this weird, uh, this weird little cubby hole thing, and you're supposed to, you know, cop to all sorts of stuff that you've done. And gr- as a kid, like you're always kind of straddling that middle ground, where like you don't want to confess the stuff that you've really done, but you don't want to sort of say that you've done nothing. So you're always trying to find innocuous things to which you can confess, and you always kind of seize on, uh, well, I was disrespectful to my parents, which is kind of a real sin, but not anything that's going to make the priest look at you weird later. Mm-hmm. And we, and and I said, you know, because you don't ever want to sort of, uh, you know, at the age of like 13, especially, you don't ever want to, uh, you don't ever want to confess the things that you think may have actually been unclean in the eyes of the Lord. And and Lisa just like unbidden, completely unprompted. Lisa goes, "Yeah, you know, like because when I was about thirteen, I used to make out with my teddy bear." And it's just like this it was like the last thing I ever would have expected her to say. If you would ask me to rank all the many, many, many thoughts that might have come out of her mouth, that would have been dead freaking last. And it was just the best moment of awkward silence after that revelation was made. And uh, our quick thinking production staff here excerpted that soundbite and they made it into the rejoinder that you just heard. So. Wow. Never a dull that's moment a, on the uh, Rick Emerson show. That's uh, very interesting. I didn't yeah. know that about Lisa. Hey, real quickly, have you seen this thing about uh, Madonna who's going to be buying a $40 million uh, townhouse on no, the, uh, the Upper East Side? Uh, Tim Riley just handed this to me for the New York Post. So she's buying a $40 million townhouse, which I guess is, I think it's $5 million less than they were asking, but it's still, I mean, I think it's like one of the most expensive things that's ever been purchased uh, in that part of uh, in that part of the city. So I think uh, I think the highest uh, paid the largest amount paid for an apartment in in the city I think was in in the fifties I can't remember what it was fifty one fifty seven I can't remember now so it's good to see that even in these trying economic times the Madonna is still uh, financially stable that's uh, that's what really matters my friend yes so. if you want to get rich 
right now in a recession, you marry Madonna. That's done and done. I'll put it in my uh, Franklin planner directly after lunch and right before, <laughs> uh, you know, haircut. Um, yeah. Hey, so you, uh, last year it was, you went to Cuba, right? That was, uh, it was 2008. Yeah. Uh huh. And at that point, were you there after, uh, after Fidel had stepped down? I can't remember. Yes, I was there when Raul uh, had officially taken over and uh, wasn't just like the interim guy was the official man in charge. Yeah. So there's a lot of this kind of, this talk made of how that Obama's going to be e- easing some of the travel restrictions or some of the trade restrictions on Cuba, which I guess kind of first of all prompts the question, are they just have all these restrictions on Cuba just sort of been there like as a matter of principle? You know what I mean? Like it just Pretty it much. just it just became a thing where like how your teacher can never admit that they're wrong. Uh, it be, like the United States was never ever ever going to admit that it was probably I don't know, a little bit of a, a little bit of overweening, um, you know, disproportionate reaction just to completely uh, cut that place off. Well, for a lot of uh, guys on Capitol Hill now, today, there's a group of senators who believe it's a failed policy, and they say so, and they say it remains in, in place only because uh, of a, uh, only because of a matter of principle, as you put it. But uh, the Bush administration made the restrictions uh, much tighter. For Cuban Cuban Americans uh, who who have relatives on the island, so what's going on here is President Obama is loosening travel restrictions only for Cubans who have relatives on the island. So I, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, and people got the impression that uh, Americans would be able to travel to Cuba freely. Now, this really just pertains to those who have relatives on the island. Uh, you'll be able to go to Cuba, no limitation on, on the how many times or how often, how frequently you can go. And you'll also be able to send your relatives in Cuba uh, American dollars. This, so that's, that's a big change in our policy. Now, is it, like, is it a first step? Because in my head, I just picture it, it. Like Cuba, to me, when I picture it, it it's all just like Godfather uh, mm-hmm. know, where Michael Corleone is there, and it's right before the, uh, right before the coup happens, and he has to like, uh, you know, stick Fredo in a car and smack him around. So, yeah, is I'm, it, is I'm this, afraid that romanticized image of Cuba is long gone. Really? It's just a bunch yeah. of... It's just a bunch of it, just a bunch of grime and skinny dogs at the end of a piece of twine. Well, they they did away with with all of those uh, seedy underworld aspects of of society in Cuba many decades ago, and and it it doesn't really exist anymore. So uh, you see you see the the facade of that in some areas, but otherwise uh, that 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 underworld is very different now. Really, the only underworld that's there is is the black market economy. You know, it, things that you can't get readily. In the uh, the street economy, in, in the Cuban-owned stores, the the Cuban government-owned uh, markets, uh, it's all traded for and and bought at a very inflated price on, on the black market. So that's the underworld there today. Hey, just as we're sort of wrapping this up, speaking about Barack Obama, because I didn't really have a chance to kind of get some of this out earlier when we were talking about this resolution of the Somali uh, uh, pirate situation and all that. I had the best idea yesterday uh, for like a T-shirt, bumper sticker, something. And you just get like a sort of very, uh, like a very heroic picture of Barack Obama or maybe he's you know standing sort of legs akimbo, kind of looking up into the horizon with his eyes, a steely glint, calm, confident look upon his face. And then at the bottom... It just says Obama tested by pirates. <laughs> How great would that be? I would absolutely buy that. And I don't have anything that says Barack Obama on it. I just I'm not a, I don't, I don't I just I'm not a guy that buys like shirts or whatever for any politician. I just it's not a thing I do. That's funny. Uh, but, Did you see the Stephen Colbert piece a few days ago uh, about uh, the admiral uh, who's in charge of the fleet in the area off Somalia talking about how we have to make life uncomfortable 
for Pirates? No. Was the quote that he said. And Stephen Colbert said, uh, oh, what, scurvy wasn't uncomfortable enough? Peg legs wasn't uncomfortable? And it was pretty funny. I, just, I don't understand why they didn't make at least one of the guys walk a plank. I mean, just to set up an ad hoc plank. I mean, look, you want to be a pirate? Be a, be a pirate. Walk the plank, you bastard. Uh, I mean, you, you could have given him the option, right? Like uh, you could have given them the choice of like walk the plank or like, uh, like a keel hauling. Yeah. Wow. Remember when they used to do that? The good old days of sailing, huh? All right. On the keel hauling note, we'll uh, bring this to a close. All right. Are you on tomorrow, sir? Yes, I am. All right, my friend. We will speak to you then. As always, enjoy your day. Take care. There you go. See you in a radio correspondent, uh, Steve Kastenbaum. And by the way, it's just that is a quote from Anderson Cooper last night. Uh, he actually just said, I think he said it, and then it was also on the, the, the Chiron, like it was the caption they were using for the story where they had a picture of Obama, and it actually just said, Obama tested by pirates. And I mean, that is amazing. I mean, seriously, I, that is a thing. That, look, Americans went for, regardless of where you are, the sort of ideological spectrum, you went for like eight years not being able to really be, you know, you couldn't in some corners of the world at least really openly be proud of the president, either because A, you weren't, or B, you know, it was going to get like a tomato thrown at you. Wasn't really a thing that you could brag about. This, you can brag about this. That's a thing that every American can wear with pride. My president was tested by pirates. Your president wasn't. Done and done. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Putting the cult in pop culture. My eyes, the goggles do nothing. The Rick Emerson Show returns on Rock 101 KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It's Tuesday morning, and good morning to you. It's uh, 644, which means that coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll talk to Don Taylor from Cinematical. Uh, and uh, she will bring with her her top five. So we'll go with uh, Don Taylor's top five today, which is the top five songs ruined for everyone by Quentin Tarantino. Tomorrow, uh, we'll do our Phil Spector top five. Uh, we get uh, everything kind of gets the proper breathing room. So we'll do uh, Phil Spector, uh, his top five productions. That is tomorrow. Top five singles produced by Phil Spector today. Don Taylor, also Katie Darrell from TMZ. And we'll talk to uh, film uh, star and raconteur extraordinaire Ron Jeremy. He'll speak on the death of Marilyn Chambers, who passed away at the age of 56. This at the news desk is Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Oh, this is bad. Oregon's jobless rate taking a dramatic jump. It is now 12.1%. It hasn't been this low since 1947. Now, we could beat Michigan. Michigan currently has the highest rate of 12.1%, but their new figures aren't available yet. So as it stands, well, we're at least in the top three. And that was just me there. Uh, it doesn't seem like Michigan's unemployment rate could possibly go down, though, because nothing doesn't create any jobs or anything in that state. I mean, what, what with all the cars catching on fire and whatnot? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, there was trouble in Klatskanai, and somebody ended up getting shot last night. A mother was arguing with her son, Eric, who's 36, complaining he was inactive and lazy at their Klatskanai home. So the police were called. A shotgun was produced. A struggle ensued, and the deputy had no choice but to shoot Eric who's accused of being inactive and lazy by his mother. Uh, let's see. And he's being held on multiple charges at Columbia County Jail. Would you, uh, do you have a photograph of Eric? He doesn't look that abnormal, really. really? Does he, uh, no, he's got crazy eyes, though. That's a... Crazy eyes. Well, first of all, so he's how old? 36. And he was living in, ho living in home with his inactive mom? Inactive and lazy, according Here, to his mom. Here's the thing about that guy. He, uh, this is, uh, what is his last name, Eric? Tofty Mark. <laughs> 
That's an unfortunate name. It really is. Um, I'm just saying, Mr. looking Toffee at this here, Mark's bouncing baby boy. He does have. He looks like a guy. Uh, he looks like a guy that maybe, like in the horror film, would masquerade as a dentist just because he likes to drill people in the mouth. That's. I'm not saying that's the case, like in real life, of course. I'm just saying, were he a film character, he'd be the sort of Doctor Giggles uh, character that uh, that just likes the sound that drills make when they're applied to human bones. This is my speculation. So, you know, who knows? Maybe the uh, mom and, by extension, the cops did everybody a favor. So did anybody uh, watch this program, this uh, Glenn Beck character on TV? He's kind of cartoonish. And uh, he, had a, he had a guest on named David Brechter, and he passed out and fainted on the floor. We don't know if this is staged or not, but it kind of obviously is because they had a camera waiting with a wide shot. So here's the fellow fainting on the floor. Oops, oops hang on a minute. It's on my end here. Here is the... Uh, Hello, fainting on the floor in the Glenn Beck show on Fox of all places. All right. Whoa, 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 whoa. You okay? Okay. Somebody help him, please. Somebody, Somebody help me get a wide shot here, please. We'll be back. We'll be back in just a second. <laughs> Let's not fade to black. Let's watch him lying helpless on the floor. And are they? And you're right. And, I never. Really, Glenn Beck seems concerned. I never really thought about the fact that when this guy faints on the on the Glenn Beck show, that not only do they go to a shot from a different angle, but it's an angle that you would never really use for anything else. Right. That's the weird thing. I so mean, the camera was there. Yeah. The, the camera was. I hadn't really uh, sort of put two and two together until you phrased it exactly that way. It's not just that they went to a different shot to show the guy passed out on the floor. It's that it's a shot that is, in other words, if you are, let's say, when you're watching TV and you're watching the guy standing in front of the, uh, the, the with the weather map and he's kind of showing you where the high pressure system is, you're just looking at him straight on. Yes. Now imagine if, again, you're watching the weather guy on TV. If there was a shot that was above, a, 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 above his right shoulder, like to the side, as though you were basically trying to uh, trying to get a shot directly into his right ear. Uh, from you know you're looking down from the side into his right ear that's the camera angle which is a thing that there would be no call for right. so while we're certainly not saying that it was uh set up or fabricated no. uh, the anecdotal evidence does uh, indicate that perhaps not all uh, jr as it was good reference there yep. the uh, um perhaps not uh, not everything is as it appears to be there Glenn Beck came back and said it's okay. Uh, welcome back to the uh, program. It's kind of a it's a wild day here. Um, David Buckner, who is a good friend of mine, is uh, doing well. He um, was uh, ill apparently this morning and um, and just got a little lightheaded, but he is fine. And we have uh, medical professionals uh, on their way to the set, and he is up and alert and and fine. You know, big fake. <laughs> You know, Tim, after this incident, I believe that he's a good person with a heart of gold, and I can trust uh, him to give me the unvarnished truth about the state of our world today. And the today. camera stayed on him and captured the concern for his friend lying unconscious on the floor instead of fading to black and getting him medical attention. For some 30 seconds. Really? 30 <laughs> seconds? The camera, it's, it's hilarious. The guy's on the floor and the camera's just standing. Hold on. No, no, no. No, no, keep it steady. Do not fade to black. No, stay there. No, no, no. Keep it tight shot. Nope, nope. Keep it right there. And as you noted, I mean, it does. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying that I have the absolute knowledge about how all of this transpired, but it does, for all the world, seem like it was just created so that Glenn Beck uh, could look like a good guy because he's gotten so much flack lately for being an un, you know an unstable and usually inaccurate nutcase. Um, There's been some movie trailer running about him doing some Christmas story. Something about the red bow tie or, or the red suspenders or something. Was it some the, childhood story of his to make him seem more human? I don't know what it's called. 
<laughs> Maybe that'll be the co- Glenn Beck looks vaguely human this Christmas. The um, did you did, did you see that story they did? Because I, I think it was Glenn Beck that maybe last year, year and a half ago, I think it was peddling some uh, peddling some elixir. I wasn't gonna say I wasn't gonna say an elixir, and I wasn't gonna say snake oil. I was just gonna say he was peddling some story about how he was in the hospital, and he came close to death, and he you know he looked his maker in the eye or whatever. He uh, he does seem to be. This is just my opinion, which is protected by the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. He does seem to me to be a bit of a faker, and the thing is, kind of a bad one at that. You know, just sort of uh, buffoon like. He didn't he's even really good sell it. Box. Well, I mean, he's good enough for the great unwashed. I mean, it just you know, the, for the average idiot, sure, why not? Uh, Jessica Simpson's courtship with the country music appears to have a shorter shelf life than her marriage. After a lackluster sale of her country debut, Do You Know, Simpson and her Nashville record label have parted ways. That's too bad. Uh, her spokeswoman says she was on loan to Sony Nashville for a country album. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much they'd loan her to me for. That uh, must did, be great. Oh, that was creepy. <laughs> but I mean, like, that's not creepy enough. How'd you like to be creepy. Jessica Simpson seeing you're being handed but around? Jessica Simpson's life is just creepy with her dad talking about her, like, boobs to the press and stuff. This is being passed around like a graphics bong at a frat house. To date, her fifth studio release has sold 178,000 copies, so somebody loves her. Hey, when you're done with that Jessica Simpson, you want to pass it over this way? All right, I'll be over here with the Del Taco. Thanks, it's great. She's also criticized for a few erratic concert performances at a February show in Michigan where people should be happy to get anything. Simpson <laughs> apologized to fans after she forgot the lyrics of the song and asked your band to start over. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm not that bright. She's a wonderfully gifted singer, says her bandmate Jay. All the other stuff overshadows what she's really about, and that's unfortunate. Yes. Yes, it is. What Tim. is with either of the Simpsons sisters not able to get through a full song? I That's a good That's a good point. Actually, I hadn't thought about that. They both had those, uh, those well-publicized Seven moments where they kind of blew it in public. Then when John Mayer did, uh, dated Jessica Simpson, he evidently liked her more when she didn't talk. Uh, John used to tell <laughs> Jess all the time, I'm really attached to your spiritual side. He'd tell her every time she opened her mouth to speak. <laughs> it was a nice way of basically saying, just sit there and look pretty and don't ruin it by talking. Where did you <laughs> Where are you getting this? Well, I, I come in here at 3 o'clock to dig for these stories. That's right. You are a news <laughs> aggregator, Tim. Uh, Tim's... I like your spiritual side. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> You really got a you really got a great uh, a great understanding of human nature and a deep appreciation and a, an your, abiding sense of the soul. Your country album. Now, now shut it. We I know you're a wonderfully gifted singer. <laughs> Just don't speak and look at the he floor. He liked her better when she didn't talk. That's correct, yes. Well, I mean, can you imagine just uh, sitting in the house and just having to hear Jessica Simpson just blathering on and on and on and her thoughts just uh, flowing forth like some sort of idiotic river Ganges? I mean, I can't... This, and I mean, that's... First of all, I was going to say, and that's the curse of dating, uh, like, I would imagine, really, really hot but unbelievably stupid girl, is that, like, on the one hand, you're like, God, you're just, you're too hot to dump right now. I got to wait until I'm sick of you. But on the other hand, boy, I don't want to hear you talk. Just, uh, I don't know. And then you just, and then you end up just getting like a catnip thing and just throwing it into the corner and just letting her occupy herself with that for a while. As far as her career goes, she never got a chance as Nellie Yates, the music director of 93.1 in Lubbock. <laughs> well, if Nellie Yates says it, Tim. That rowdy Yates is a... Nellie Yates she is has supporters word. somewhere. Is Nellie Yates a man or a woman? Doesn't say. I mean, that could go either way, really. I mean, uh, you know, in, so to speak, uh, in, in Lubbock, Texas. All right. Well, if when Nellie uh, Yates uh, speaks, everyone listens. And Jessica Simpson's got that. I'm surprised she hadn't done something about that jaw, by the way, because there was all that f- focus being put on the fact that she had allegedly put on a bunch of weight, which I didn't really ever see, to be honest. I didn't, I mean, you know, whatever. I... 
I mean, maybe she was picking the wrong outfits uh, for a couple of weeks, but it wasn't like she was like the, you know like fat or anything. No. She was just sort of uh, dressing for, I would say, somebody who was uh, maybe a size or two smaller. Just kind of pulling, pulling a Britney Spears. Exactly. That's the thing. It's just it's about how you you know what it is. It's just about how it's not about the Christmas tree. It's just about how you uh, it's about how you decorate it, I would say. And she was decorating for uh, she was decorating for a Christmas branch is the problem when she had really just become like a uh, a Doug fur and. The larger issue to me with Jessica Simpson and back to her not talking is she's just got that – she's got that weird – like it's not on the level of like China where her jaw seemed to extend out for about seven or eight inches in front of her face. But it's it's like in Tommy Boy where Chris Farley's talking about that – the sort of pain and the welt on his face and he says that not here or here so much as it is here. And with Jessica Simpson, it really is just from the bottom of the nose – to the chin. Wait a minute. Well, that is the mouth area. So I think John Mayer's onto something. He I think the mouth has to be in that area. I yes. think if you could just somehow, um, I was going to say remove, but if you could just somehow remove her mouth, if you could just if you could just somehow block that whole section or deactivate that whole section of her face when it's not being used for something, then I think everybody could agree that Jessica Simpson would be uh, would be much more likable. All Maybe right. it was a reasonable request. That is so great that he said that. I love your spiritual side. <laughs> Shut your trap. <laughs> Make me flapjacks. <laughs> that is wonderful. I don't think I've ever heard John Mayer's speaking voice out loud. What does he sound like when he talks, Sarah? He's like, I sat next to him, yeah. At a is he southern? Please he... tell me he's southern. No, he's not southern. He just talks douchey. I don't know. He's by me. I don't speak douchebag. I don't. And I saw him like there were these two like slutty girls who ran up to his um, table and they were talking about how they thought his body was a wonderland. And really? then he went and danced with them. Wait, was this live? You saw this happen in person? No, I was at a restaurant in uh, New York. My sister's friend worked in some like fancy pants, um, you know, exclusive restaurant. So they Is were that Amanda to... Pants? Not Amanda Pants. No, fancy pants though. And yes, yeah, so we were in New York in some like restaurant that we could never afford in real life or get into. And, and so... two girls ran up to John Mayer and because he has that song, "Your Body Is a Wonderland." Yeah, and they told him that they thought his body was a wonderland, and then he proceeded to get drunk and dance with them. And his, he was so unattractive in person, <laughs> and his head was huge, and he had like um, like crazy Google eyes. <laughs> That's fantastic. He uh... was not hot. I can't. I like. Heather and I were both just looking at him like, how does he get all these hot chicks? Because he is just not it's, attractive. It's because he, it's because he holds a guitar and sings sings little songs. And people, mm. the girls he remembers the, the words. Girl, that's the thing. And he can finish the song, too. And girls <laughs> seem to like that sort of a thing. Your Body is a Wonderland, by the way, always makes me think of... I always get like a picture, like an Oaks Park kind of a thing where it's like, I just picture like the body with sort of a tilty, a broken down Ferris wheel that's listing, you know, like 15 degrees to port and seems like it might collapse at any moment. I don't think I moment. could name one more of his songs. Could you? No. Um, no. No, wait, no, no wait. No. Mm-mm. No, I've got nothing. No, there's uh no, I've got nothing at all. Well, you were saying that same thing about Zach Efron, that you don't find Zach Efron to be hot Absolutely at all. Absolutely not. No, he looks, I don't know, he looks like some kind of mouse or something. See, that doesn't, Zach Efron to me looks like, he looks like a kind of miniature version of somebody who might be attractive. Like if you were to take kind of a good looking guy, but to sort of shrink him down, but there's that whole thing. I forget which is which, but there's the, the the difference between a midget and a dwarf is that one is proportional. Mm-hmm. One has a proportional body type. And a dwarf is slightly disproportional, I believe. See, I don't know. See, I'm going to let you say that because okay. – See, if it gets – Which one wrong, is Zac I don't know. There's going to be a whole – then the, the little think, people group. There will be a whole uproar oh, yeah. if you get it wrong. So I, I don't want to – you know, but I mean, well, one of them is proportional. One is not. Well, you could say he looks like a mouse and that won't offend anyone. Well, here's my thing about Zac Efron. He looks like some sort of a middle ground. Mouse. No? And this sounds so awkward, but I was going to say he's like a middle ground between midget and dwarf, that guy, because he's not entirely out of proportion, 
but he seems like maybe he's just about 10 or 15% off in certain areas of his body where not everything is the same size, and so it doesn't all kind of jibe uh, correctly. Mm. So, all right. And if he just qu- quit That's talking, he'd be much better. Says. No. Right, it's 503-733-2970. Can we read that John Mayer story again later? Just sure we can. For our own personal amusement. I, I have a habit of repeating things. Yes. As do we all, Tim. And she was on loan. She was on loan. She was never given a chance. She's being passed around from the Guggenheim to the Louvre. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson Show. Yeah. You know what uh, we need to bring back is guys going, guitar, right before the solo. I'm just going to put that out there. Do with that Did what that you might. Did that just happen? Might. No, that's my point, oh. is it needs to happen more. Uh, it also uh, it also needs to uh, transpire that bands begin saying, one time, at some point during the song. Just you just go uh, go make some magic with okay, that. Okay, we'll make a note of that. Uh, okay. Uh, this is just, uh, I have just one observation to make here, and then uh, we will see what Tim Riley's working on at the news desk. Don Taylor from Cinematica will join us. Uh, we will count down the top five songs that have been forever sullied, tainted, uh, ruined, or otherwise changed in their context by Quentin Tarantino. Next hour, we will talk to Katie Darrell from TMZ.com, and weighing in on the death of Marilyn Chambers will be Ron Jeremy joining us next hour as well. Uh the only thing I'm going to say about this is this kind of is part and parcel of the whole uh, pirate Anderson Cooper CNN thing because I just sat there and I kind of broke the Anderson Cooper habit for a while because it just it started in the lead up to the election last year where it was you know, the campaigns and then the debates and then the primaries and the caucuses and the whatever. And I would just sit there on the couch every night just like some sort of a and weird obsessed. I mean, I was like it was like some the, the all news succubus or something. I just sat there and just and just soaked in uh, I was going to say soaked in Anderson Cooper. But you know what I mean? It was just it just, had that, it just sort of marinated myself in CNN coverage all the time and i managed to kind of break away from it over the last few weeks but the pirate thing has succeeded in pulling me back in so i'm just sitting there watching all this pirate news last night and then giggling to myself a little bit every time they say something like and obama has been tested by pirates and he has passed the test and realizing that it's a serious deal and they're not like the wacky sort of uh you know like our pirates or like that guy that mcdonald's had at a mascot for you know for a few years back in the 70s but that it's amusing uh nonetheless and then occasionally they would break up the pirate news last night. I mean, it was just like a sea of wackiness. They would break up the pirate news with a story about the Obamas and their new dog. And I saw photos of this all over the net yesterday, but never really put the two together. Because Have you seen the picture, that one shot no. of the dog with the lays around his neck? No, no, no. Yes. Okay. There are a couple of them available. So I will have the story here, I think, in a few. But they, there was this one photograph they kept showing, and it was this small uh, black dog with these multicolored lays around him. Because he's from Hawaii, or he's in Hawaii, or maybe just because you know, Obama's from Hawaii, or whatever. But I saw that photograph and never in my head throughout yesterday put it together with the Obama story. I didn't know what the, you know, I just, and so it was that thing where you'll see an image on the news or on the web kind of as you're going about your daily business, but you don't really know the context. And I swear to God, for all the world, I thought it was like a gay pride dog. Every time I saw it, I was thinking like, 
you know, and little Brutus won the first annual gay pride canine competition oh, in whatever. Cute. But uh, but just like as a passing glance, doesn't that look like it might be some sort of a uh, yes. rainbow coalition dog or whatever Very it is, the, so, the, yes. whatever that group is? <laughs> anyway. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Working on the following headlines today is Tim Riley. Pirates are hijacking more and more ships. And many of these pirates have bored teenagers with automatic weapons. Oregon's unemployment rate passes the 12% mark, the highest since 1947. Plenty of drama in L.A. Phil Spector guilty. Could get 18 years in the slammer. Porn star Marilyn Chambers, dead. Mel Gibson's wife wants a divorce. Somebody stabbed an opening day at Dodger Stadium. The last of the Octo Babies go home. The origin of Obama's puppy creates a controversy. Is it a gift from Ted Kennedy's friends, or is it really from a pound? We may never know. More employees are sucking up to the boss these days. Should you? By the way, I just love the uh, I love the Octo Baby go home. Uh, it seems like there's uh, some sort of a bedtime for Bonzo movie being made, as you know. All right. Anywho, let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show from Cinematical, Dawn Taylor. Hello, how are you? I'm terrific. How are you, Mr. What Emerson? movie am I? Th- I'm fantastic. What movie am I thinking of? The something something go home. That wasn't it. Was it? Was that Monster a Ronald? Go home. Oh, That's what it was. was. I was thinking it was a Reagan thing. I was thinking there was a Bonzo go home, but it wasn't that. It was I Monsters. Don't think so. Now was Monsters go home? Was that a play on something? In other words, was that title itself? Uh, a sort of a twist on an, on, an, on an extant title? That's a good question. I'm not sure. That seems to be part of the uh, the cultural lexicon, that blank go-home thing in terms of... Uh, well, yeah, it is, it is a classic uh, when you just you see it in movies, you see it on television, old news stories, when you don't like someone, somebody's standing there Yankee in the home. crowd with a, a sign yeah. that says, yeah... Oh, all right then. Hello, Don Taylor. How Hello. is life? How are things? Things are things are swell. Things I got three swell. words for you. Those three <laughs> words are observe and report. Yes. Yes, you apparently saw it yesterday and then you immediately texted me to uh let me know that uh, your mind had been sufficiently blown. I uh, I felt like I had I felt like someone had opened the top of my head and had repeatedly beaten my brain with a maglite. I mean, it just, like someone, like someone had just taken, uh, like one of those big, thick, heavy cop flashlights, and had just beaten the inside of my brain senseless, and then kind of gave it like a loving pat, and then put my skull back together and sent me on my way. Yeah, that is that is a film that is being. I don't know if I want to say mismarketed, but it's certainly being marketed as something somewhat different than it actually is uh, to the general public. I mean, if, if by mismarketed you mean, you know, trying to get people into the theater, then I guess you know whatever whatever yeah. you got to do to get people to buy tickets. Um, if you if by mismarketed you mean misrepresented, the answer to that is a big resounding yes. Yeah, because there are so many people that you know I've known. You, we were when I you first asked me about it. You said, "Oh, it doesn't look any." Ah, uh, Christy Turnquist was not looking forward to it, and I'm like, "No, it's actually really good." Because th- you see the ads, and you're going, "Oh, it's another Paul Blart mall cop movie," right. and oh, it's so not. And it's you know, and it's Seth Rogen. He's a goofy guy, and you know, and you know, inane things happen, and wackiness ensues, and he gets the girl. And the, first of all, let me say this about Observant Report. There's no one likable in this film at all. There's not a single likable character. I well, mean, really, the, uh, in any... the, the Asian twin guys are kind of likable, but they only have about three lines. I so. suppose. And then there's a girl who works at like uh, like a pretzelry or something, or like a Cinnabon type place. And I guess she's quasi likable. So they, I mean, but there's there's no one in the film that really is a hero. There's no one in the film that is a truly good person, really, to any demonstrable degree. They're all just sort of shades of bad, horrid. 
uh, it warped, twisted, sometimes a combination of all of the above. Yeah, and the, the warmest thing in the movie is his relationship with his mother, who is a rampant alcoholic and passes out on the floor. And then he lovingly pulls the blanket up over her while she's like falling asleep in a puddle of her own drool. And I think at one point she references the fact that uh, not only she passed out, but she has, in fact, soiled herself. Yes. Um, it's and the thing is, and see, even this description, it's like I'm making it sound like it's a Farrelly Brothers film or something. Right. But the it, truth is that actually his relationship with her is very warm. It is actually kind of touching. <laughs> so I, I really have to say that um, the observant report, when you compared it to Taxi Driver, I was thinking, well, that's that's insane. That Dawn Taylor, she's high. What is she talking about? It really is so unbelievably similar to Taxi Driver in yeah. some ways that it just staggers the imagination. And the biggest thing about this film is the improbability that it ever got released at all. I just, I would give anything to have been in the screening room when the heads of the studio, hey, there's the new Seth Rogen film. No, he's the he's the guy from Knocked Up. No, he's, he's, gonna he's be- that goofy, schlubby stoner guy. Oh, we love him. He makes those teen comedies that are full of big, broad amusements. And then the just sitting there and just watching uh, it, just this, it's like a mental assault of some kind that goes on for 90 minutes. And I'm making it sound like it's a bad film, and it's not. It's just that there will it, – it's, it's not a comedy. I would go so far as to say that it's not even a black comedy. It is It is a character study of an absolute mental implosion. I mean, it is like – I said earlier that it was like taking a roller coaster ride – through the brain of someone who is in the midst of a very serious uh, sort of psychological break. And, and I, which isn't to say that there aren't moments of sort of bleak amusement, because there are, but it is, um, it is like being inside a mental breakdown. The, a lot of the, uh, and the controversy is over Seth Rogen, unfortunately, using the, the phrase date rape to describe one of the scenes in the film. And... Um, it, it is questionable whether or not that actually is date rape in the movie. It certainly skates it. It certainly is in that it's realm. It's uncomfortable. That's, but, uh, yeah. but to be honest, as a woman, um, I, I got that joke. I found that joke funny because the joke is more at the expense of the woman than it is at him. It's not making fun. And this is Anna Ferris. There's, right. uh, I'm not giving you know, anything, anything away. Yeah, here, but yeah, it, this a, has all been talked about a lot, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a drunken. Cause she's a booze and pill hound, uh, in yeah. the movie and she gets drunk enough that they go home together. Yeah. Uh, and then in, in mid, uh, act, he realizes she's non-responsive <laughs> and he, and he decides, Oh no, I must stop. And then she yells at him drooling and, and half lidded to keep going. And he goes, Oh, okay. So, so that's kind of funny. But the thing is, as uncomfortable as that is, the scene that actually made me much more uncomfortable as a woman is when he actually asks her out right because she has no interest in him whatsoever but he's so full of this delusional self you know grandeur that he believes that she's got to go out with him they're meant to be together and he he basically just forces her to go out well crushes her because well and because he actually uh they're driving around in a car you know there's like sort of like his his security car thing they're driving around and he actually says at one point He's just sort of speeding through the parking lot past her car because he was presumably going to drop her off at her car when the mall is closed. And he drives by and he just says, I'm not going to let you out until you agree to go on a date with me. And the number of things in Observant Report that, I mean, just I was sort of checking them off in my head. I was like, you said this sort of quasi kind of date rape sequence. And then there's I mean, there's the really like serious drug use, serious violence. Mm-hmm. There is... An extended sequence at the end that I, I will not describe that is that is just this this unbelievable just um, 
orgy of physical assault uh, with the aforementioned mag light, that yes. huge, heavy black flashlight that cops carry, where it's just a long, protracted series of uh, shots of guys getting hit in the face with a flashlight. And I, Lara and I were sitting there, and we had, I mean, I kind of knew it was going to be a little dark, but she had no, she told me later, she's like, you know, I love that Knock That movie. Um, this was good, but wow, boy, I wish I'd known more about it. <laughs> because you spend about the first 10 minutes kind of, awkwardly laughing at it because your brain sort of was primed to accept it as a comedy. Here's the other thing about Observe and Report. It's one of those films that punishes the audience in a certain way, especially a certain kind of audience member, because we went to see it on a matinee, so it wasn't like it was packed. There's probably 20 or 25 people, and you there was this sort of chart of the laughter. Like It was a lot of laughs at the beginning just because I think that's what you think you're supposed to do, and so you're starting to fi- you're finding things funny because you're viewing it through this prism, and then the laughs turn awkward, and then they turn just downright uh, uh, uncomfortable. And then the laughs just totally stopped. And I noticed, by the way, that when the movie ended, about half the people that were there when the movie started were no longer there. Uh, they had just left at a certain point. So it's it, it's the kind of thing that even the jokes, the, the funniest jokes in the movie are the ones are the, the type that you laugh at. But at the same time, you just go, oh, my God. God, yeah. while you're laughing, there is, I don't want to give it away, but there is basically at the very end of the film, there's this setup uh, where, you know, he's running to save the day and you're sure you know exactly what's going to happen because it is all framed exactly like you've seen it in a hundred other movies. And then the actual payoff for it is so shocking and so surprising and so just it's, out there that you just you're you're actually literally stunned. And I don't know anything about the guy who made this because I haven't seen the Foot Fist way and I haven't seen uh, Eastbound and Down, which is the the, the, the Jody Hill his uh, yeah. series on HBO. But as soon as the movie ended, I mean, I knew just without without a doubt. Um, although I guess it says it in the opening credits, but it's written and directed by. But you, when you watch Observe and Report, you absolutely realize this is the work of a, a singular vision. This is a, this is one guy. It's not who, like anything else. Yeah, it, it had an idea, and he created this idea exactly as he saw it in his head. And I don't know about Jody Hill, the guy who wrote and directed it, whether whether he has a history of, of and I don't mean this to be flipped, like mental problems, or if he himself is bipolar, but I tell you, if he's not manic depressive or if he does not suffer from some sort of emotional upset, then he spent a lot of time with people who do. And the final thing I'll say about it is even the editing of Observe and Report feels like a manic depressive cycle because there are a few sequences where it just slows down and everything is very monotone and monochromatic and there's not a lot happening. And then it's just these sort of ecstatic explosions of violence but this really exuberant, satisfying violence that is unbelievably brutal, but that is has this great sense of cohesion to it. And when you get to the final five minutes of the film, I mean, even that the final two minutes of the film are just a series of edits of these really intense moments and scenes. And when it ends, I mean, for me anyway, when it ends, you feel like. When someone comes up and startles you or when a car, yeah. you know, when like you hear a loud noise and like, you know, a car alarm or something goes off and you and then you get that adrenaline rush and you kind of feel that just that surge of energy in your body. That's what I felt like when it went to when it went to black at the end. It's also worth saying that this is the best work that Seth Rogen has done so far. It's he, amazing. He uh, this is really he, he had, was falling into that trap of being a type of being yeah. a character. And here this is sort of 
kind of a take on the type, but really he does some real acting here and he is, he is really, really good. Yeah. So anyway, so th- there you go. So you got to see that observe and report. Uh, on the other side, you are going to talk about Splinter, mm-hmm. which we've heard some, uh, some good things about. And we'll do the uh, top five, the top five songs forever changed slash tainted slash ruined slash altered by our good friend Quentin Tarantino. Later on, Katie Darrell from TMZ and Ron Jeremy weighs in on the death of Marilyn Chambers, plus news, Tim Riley. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. What a catastrophe. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for coming by. We're here with Don Taylor from Cinematical. Uh, we will talk about Splinter in just a moment. We will also count down the top five songs forever changed by uh, their use in a Quentin Tarantino film. Coming up later on, Ron Jeremy will discuss the death of Marilyn Chambers. And Katie Darrow from TMZ.com weighs in on all things scandalous. At the news desk, this is Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Well, I'll tell you about these pirates just won't stop it. They've taken three more ships. Many of these pirates are more teenagers with automatic weapons. Oregon's unemployment rate passes 12%, the highest since 1947. Will we beat the Michigan unemployment rate? We'll find that out later this week. Some of the other things going on. This one's for Sarah Dillon. It's from Zach Efron. He says, I have never worn false eyelashes in my entire life. If you can find any photo showing me wearing false eyelashes, I will give them a effing million dollars. That's why wow, someone seems disproportionately angry. <laughs> I know. And he uses that word several times in this interview on Pop Rap. I don't care about his eyelashes. I just want him to get a haircut. Wait a minute. What is with the hair? Why did this I don't like his little pixie nose. Why did this story just happen? Why why were why did we just <laughs> stories of interest to Sarah Dillon? But I mean, was there was there some sort of a question was there something in the blogosphere about Zag uh, Zag Zach Efron's uh, eyelashes? Apparently there are rumors that he wears Fake eyelashes. Really? Is this what young people are concerning themselves with? I hate to sound like that well, guy. Well, adults are concerning themselves with Obama's dog. So we have to have something for everyone. <laughs> I suppose. No, touche, Tim Riley. Check and mate. Well done. So for you adults, is Bo a rescue dog or not? Enter Bo, a six-month-old puppy given to the first owner and matched with the Obamas through breeders. Now, Bo's Bo breeders. Well, oh, wait a minute here. <laughs> this could be two different stories, couldn't it? <laughs> Bo's, I'm going to stand back. I'm just going to let you. Bo's breeders happen to have bred Senator Edward Kennedy. Does Bo breed love in the Obama household? <laughs> I don't know that. Come uh, on. you got to give me credit for coming up with that in like five seconds. I didn't have a lot of I didn't like, I had, had to go to the garage and build that joke. And, or and I held this off till this time because this is the 7 o'clock. Uh, we're building Hume here. Uh, Bo's breeders happen to be... <laughs> Ed Kennedy's Portuguese water dog friend. Who's Ed Kennedy? Uh, Portuguese water dog friend? Yes. Stop. Everyone stop. That I'm was my insane. favorite children's show of the 70s. The Jesus. Portuguese water dog friends. <laughs> well, the Massachusetts Democrat, an Obama friend and political ally. Ed Kennedy? Ted Kennedy. Okay. Well, we can call him Ed. That is his name, Ed. And they acquired I think I'm a having pop- a breakdown of some kind. Let's, let's- Bo- Bo's breeders are friends of Obama. <laughs> Is there a radon leak or something in the studio? <laughs> All right. Let's back up for a moment. Ted Kennedy is involved in this story of the Obama dog. How? He drove because them home he, from he, the pound. He is a friend of Bo's breeders. All right. And he also has Portuguese water dogs who came from Bo Breeder. Okay. So, that is, so that's the breed of dog they're talking about yes. here. 
Mm-hmm. All right. And Water there, dog sounds weird. Well, it looks like a poodle kind of. It looks like, I mean, I only saw the one photograph of it, so I don't know. Maybe it was, and it was like obscured by like the million, like the Hawaiian lay things they put on it. So, so Bo's first owner lived in Washington. He was returned to the breeder, fitting the spring timetable for the Obamas to put it up for adoption. So this dog is adopted because the original didn't want it technically. Yeah, but that's not the same thing. But they were, but, but when he, you're one of the adults causing troubles in the story. I'm just saying uh, it, it, it. This may seem like a minor point, uh, but that's not really the same thing. I think that is uh, not hewing to the spirit of the promise to get like a like a shelter dog. And a shelter dog is like one of those, you know, it's like uh, it's like Fry's dog, Futurama. It's like one of those like weird, uh, you know, uh, sort of jittery mutts that you find at the pound or something, which I think is sort of what everybody figured he meant when he said they were going to get a shelter dog. Rescuing a dog from Ted Kennedy's compound is not the same as rescuing a dog from St. Helens. No, I mean let's let's be honest. I mean, not that people don't need rescuing at the Kennedy compound quite frequently <laughs> <laughs> or resuscitation, um, but I mean this. Uh, Seems like they're occupied with uh, they're occupied with other things. The dog was probably safe, so it just seems a little. It's it, what America's talking about. But I mean, it seems a little weird to me, only in this sense that you got to figure that when you get through any level of American uh, celebrity, be it political, be it in the entertainment world, whatever, that you've got people around you who are always looking out for your image, and they're trying to make sure. You know, there's, there's so much thought that goes into everything. You know, the tie you wear, the shoes you have on, what sports teams you publicly, uh, you know, endorse or talk about. I mean, there's always a guy like a Rahm Emanuel type who is there to make sure that everything you do is not necessarily focus group, but that you're not going to say anything that's going to get you, you know, get you in hot water with anybody. And Obama made such a big deal about getting a shelter dog. And then the idea that it was like a, like a shelter dog, you know, from the Kennedys, but still doesn't really seem to keep with the, uh, the spirit of that promise. That's the sort of thing. And here's the other thing. That we all know this to be true. Uh, animal people, and we're all you know dog owners here, but yes. it's not the same thing as being like a like an animal person. Animal people are crazy. I mean, they're, they're crazy. And so you get on the wrong side of uh, those guys, they'll uh, they'll f you. So I'm just saying, I'd walk lightly if I were a Barack Obama at this point. So it's a love of this breed that bought Bo to the first family's home. And but do I speak for everybody also when I say that it's a uh, it's a breed that no one has ever heard of until now? I've never heard of it. I, I've no. heard of it. Yeah, see, and I haven't. I just, I thought they were making it up. No, it's a, it's a real dog, and they're called Portuguese water dogs because they do have that that tight curled uh, coat, so they actually do well in water. There are a a water breed, a water dog. All right. Breed. As they're compared hard. to what? Well, uh, water dogs like uh, spaniels uh, that that are used for hunting and and birding that they can I they have certain kind their fur is such that they're well insulated if they have to jump into the water after birds and things like that. So really, see the Ted Kennedy jokes just present themselves just <laughs> just so easily here. And you know what? I'm that's the low road. That's the lowest of roads. <laughs> Actually, I guess it is a low road if you're talking about Ted Kennedy. Oh, well, the, maybe uh, it was a gift. <laughs> Sometime after that. Maybe that's why he had to get rid of the dog, because there were too many bad memories. Perhaps. Maybe Ted Kennedy doesn't like things that, uh, he doesn't like things associated with the water. Well, he hasn't been himself lately anyway. That is true. Here's Tim Riley. So let's talk about this, uh, this plane landing. The pilot had a heart attack flying this plane, and one of the passengers takes over landing the plane after he calls a friend who had knowledge of the plane, asking him how to land it. So we have a taped conversation between this guy, the pilot, as he's, uh, told what to do by the air traffic controller, and he did land the plane safely with six passengers in Florida. So here's the uh, air traffic control call. Are you using the autopilot or are you flying the airplane? Man, the good Lord, hand flying this 900 out of whiskey. Okay, very good. Thank you. Can you stop that for a second? Whiskey, are you... 
I I, I keep I keep missing the why he says the word whiskey. Is that like the call sign of of, of the airplane, or is he in that, fact just saying that he's drunk? No, no, a W would be whiskey. All right, okay, so that's so he's identifying the name of the you know the the, the uh, whatever the, the identifying right. serial number or whatever the right. airport. All right, okay, like whiskey, xylophone, All that right. type of thing. Okay, baby. It, here's, okay, let's start it again. Whiskey xylophone, baby. <laughs> you using the autopilot the or you man. flying the airplane? Man, the good Lord hand flying this nine or Delta whiskey. Okay, very good. Thank you. Nine Delta whiskey, are you a licensed pilot? No time single engine land, nine or Delta whiskey. Okay, very good. You got buzzers going off here, gear control or something. I don't know. Okay, sir, in that case, just level off when you're comfortable. And uh, I'll get you an answer on that in just a moment. We got a light blinking on the pilot's panel. It says AP disc. What's that mean? AP disconnect or something? Hey, Peter, the breast chick is on. Hey, we're getting that information right now. They're listening to you. Let me give me some. Sounds good. You're right on the money. You're lined up for the runway. So altitude, your discretion. You can proceed visually. And just let me know when you have the gear and the flaps down. All right, gear going down. And he landed safely. That's uh, End of story. We've got the, uh, let's see if I've got the right cut to go to here. Uh, Sarah, am I up over there? Mm-hmm. Right. Richard the Lionheart. He does kind of sound like this guy, like the knife infomercial guy. The big broad sword, Richard the Lionheart. Now the sword itself is a two ninety nine <laughs> value. The gold edition, Richard the Lionheart. I mean, like when the knife guy gets... Coat of arms. Uh, I know. When he gets the sort of excited uh, edge to his voice. Tonight, it's 98 cents in the set. Now, that will come with wall pike for display purposes, featuring a frost Absolutely. etch of the coat of arms <laughs> going down the blade, beautifully done. And tonight, you will get this item, a $299 item, yeah. for 288 bucks, <laughs> and then get 294 additional pieces to go along with it. Exactly. I mean, you could like. Are you using the autopilot, or are you flying the airplane? Man, the good Lord hand flying this nine or whiskey. Or like maybe his brother or something. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like his cousin. He, you could also very easily uh, hear the plane guy doing that beef. It's what's for dinner. Uh, that uh, that voice there. All right, excellent. It is uh, 503-733-2970. It's the Rick Emerson Show. And straight ahead, we'll talk about the upcoming horror film Splinter, as well as the top five songs forever changed by their inclusion in a Quentin Tarantino film. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. And we will take a moment to talk about our good friends at Secret Aardvark. You can find that more at secretardvark.com. Secret Aardvark Abanero Hot Sauce, which is uh, fantastic, by the way. I had some last night, and so I've got... Really, it, it almost doesn't even go back into the refrigerator at any point. It's just it's sort of always on the counter uh, because you can kind of use it with everything. And the reason for that is that it is right in the middle ground between heat and flavor because you'll get the kind of novelty sauce where it's just some guy in a white lab coat that just wanted to make the hottest hot sauce on earth, which is a thing that you buy and then you try it once and then maybe, you know, like spring it on an unsuspecting friend and then it just goes back in the cupboard and you never use it again. And then the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're like me, you go through that thing for years, actually, where you're looking for the perfect hot sauce and it all ends up being very vinegary and it's just sort of some plain red pepper. And they try to cover it up with like a fancy label or, you know, an exotic name or something. And it just ends up not being that good, not being that hot. You don't use it. Secret Aardvark is not that. It is a perfect hot sauce if you like something that has 
has flavor, but something that has some real uh, some real punch to it as well. Of course, it's a Portland company. Uh, the recipe created right here in Portland, and it's a fantastic mix. It's got a little bit of vinegar, it's got tomato, it's got onion, and it's got uh, habanero pepper as well. And it really is it really is quite something. Uh, you get it, and you're going to find out that it's the most frequently used hot sauce, uh, maybe the most frequently used condiment uh, that you've got in your house, period. You can find out more about it at secretardvark.com. You can get a complete list of uh, stores that sell it, restaurants that have it, and if you don't see it, you got to ask for it. Secret Aardvark, that's with two A's, secretardvark.com. Secret Aardvark Abanero Hot Sauce. One sauce to rule them all. The Rick Emerson Show. He has the grace of a swan, the wisdom of an owl, and the eye of an eagle. Ladies and gentlemen, this man is for the birds. Live or via podcast at KUFO.com. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for coming by. It is Tuesday morning. Still ahead, we have Katie Darrell from TMZ.com, and we will be talking to porn legend Ron Jeremy about the passing of Marilyn Chambers. We're uh, joined by Don Taylor from Cinematical. Uh, Splinter, which is a movie I know nothing about. And, and I was just mouthing Sliver. I'm like, oh, no, we're talking about Sliver. Let's talk Splinter. more about Sliver, can we please? Sure. Oh, Billy Baldwin. And then Boxing Helena. So uh, all and I know. Slither with uh, Nathan Fillion. And the only thing I know about Splinter is that uh, Sarah uh, was discussing with me earlier today because I guess our friend David Walker was mm. real high on it. So I know almost nothing about this film. Um, most people don't. It's um, it, it came. It's coming out on DVD today. So it's a, a film that kind of slipped under the radar theatrically. Uh, I left my notes at home because it's early in the morning, so I don't have the director's uh, name in front of me. But he has an extensive uh, background in vi- as a visual effects supervisor. So he's somebody who knows how to get the most for his money. And it really shows. This is a fairly low-budget movie, uh, basically four main characters, uh, simple locations. It's your your standard kind of creature-slash-zombie setup. A uh, couple go on a camping trip. They get carjacked by... Uh, some, a bad guy for reasons we will find out later with a gun and a sickly girlfriend thrown in the back of their car. The four of them are driving. They uh, end up at a gas station because of various things that happen in the car breaks down uh, where the gas station attendant has been uh, killed and slash mutated by something from the woods. I like what we're saying. And uh, everything from there just goes goes bad, goes badly for everyone. And it ends up being um, kind of in, in many ways your standard issue. People barricaded trying to survive against the out the, the heroic last stand against the uh, against the outside force. Right. The same thing we've seen in, you know, The Mist, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. The ending of every Left for Dead. Rio scenario. Bravo. Yeah. You know, it's Panic it's room. Panic room. <laughs> That's, I'm a big fan of that kind of setup, too. It's that Stephen King thing. Uh, Stephen King had this uh, this formula he talked about where he said you spend the first third of the book getting people into a room. You spend the second third locking all the doors, and then uh, and then you just let a creature into the room, and you spend the final third of the book just having them battle the creature. Exactly. Yeah. And this, and this uh, Splinter works really well for a couple of reasons. One is the creature is... A magnificent. Really, it, it isn't like cheesy or anything. No, it is. It is horrifying and creepy, and it's like imagine kind of a cross between um, the 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 mutating dogs from John Carpenter's The Thing yeah. and a zombie. And uh, what else was the other thing I was thinking? I but it's um, it's basically some sort of of a something that uh, mutates human flesh in bizarre ways and does not care for what the body's actual original function oh, would be. Oh, cre- okay. It's creeping me out just mm. to hear So we have a lot of right. splinter. Splinter. Oh. So we have a lot of, and it has it has weird spiky uh, 
spiny things that come out that are part of it. I saw that in that weird little like ping sound it makes when I've I've seen the preview for it. But it it also works because the acting is really excellent. It's, it's beautifully directed. It's a, it's a nice, tidy little direction. And it's a lot of times in films like this, you've got people trying to survive in a convenience store at a gas station and they do a lot of incredibly stupid things. And in this movie, er they actually do everything right. You're on their side all the way because they are not stupid people and they don't make a lot of stupid mistakes just to put them in random peril. So, so they're very clever about what they do too, but it's also very tense and, and, and kind, kind of gross and graphic, but also quite scary actually. So Splinter on DVD. Splinter. Sounds too scary for me. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, let's roll your top five. Marvelous counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness, counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, Don Taylor presents these, the top five songs ruined or forever changed somehow by their inclusion in a Quentin Tarantino film. Tim Riley. Honorable mention going to the theme from Ironside Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. Totally. And it's that marriage of song to image that, when it's done correctly, they just are inextricably linked uh, forever. And this was used, uh, it was actually used in the script. It was called uh, The Bride's Vengeance Theme. It was, uh, that sting at the beginning was used when she was about to battle a couple of her foes in both the first and the second film. And it's actually a reference to the kung fu film uh, Five Fingers of Death from 1972, where they used the same little piece of music every time the the main character was about to fight somebody. So. Yeah, that siren uh, sound at the beginning, it's, it's a song that you kind of forget about, and then when you hear it, it all just floods back because it's so distinctive. Yeah, but most people aren't aware that that's actually the theme from the TV show Ironside, uh, written Burr by Quincy Jones. Yeah. Yep. Was it, I forget, okay, so Ironside with Raymond Burr, was he, was he a cop or was he a lawyer? What was he? I, I think, think he was a cop. Like I a think he had been a cop. I, now he was, I think he was like a consulting detective uh, policeman who had been shot in the line of duty and now he was in a wheelchair. He was like, uh, he was like, what's his name in The Equalizer? Whatever the hell that, uh, that television <laughs> series was. That guy, odds against you, need help, The Equalizer. All right. I think uh, Ironside might have been on longer than Perry Mason. Is that, I mean, the the Ironside was the, uh, it, it was in the 70s, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I think and so. And all I remember was the opening credit sequence where it was like uh, the black and red, and then it was the freeze frame of him in a wheelchair, which I think at the time seemed like pretty, pretty revolutionary uh, for the protagonist. All right, these are the top five songs changed by their uh, inclusion in a Quentin Tarantino film. Tim Number Riley? Number five, Little Green Bag, the George Baker selection. Mm, This is kind of a weird, nonsensical song that the lyrics don't make a whole lot of sense, but I believe it's actually about a guy looking to buy some marijuana. And uh, this is the, from uh, Reservoir Dogs, the iconic scene with the characters walking down the street in their suits and right. their sunglasses. Oh, okay. And uh, it's, again, once you hear this song coupled with that visual, it's it's hard to keep it in its original perspective. George Baker, by the way, the George Baker selection, uh, that was not his original name. He's actually Dutch, and he had this strange Dutch name 
And uh, this uh, the seventeen song, umlauts and one of those O's exactly. with a line drawn through the middle of it. And this uh, the song originally uh, was recorded in nineteen sixty nine. I remember seeing that opening uh, sequence of Reservoir Dogs uh, with a couple of uh, a couple of guy friends. We didn't see it in the theater. We you know we saw it at home, but we were all kind of seeing it for the first time together. And it was that thing of we're like nine seconds, and you go, "This is the coolest thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life." And you simultaneously have two realizations: one, you desperately wish to be as cool as the guys on the screen; two, you will never be as cool as the guys on the screen. Excellent. Tim Riley, what is the next song on our list? Number four, Flowers on the Wall, the Statler Brothers. Yeah. I remember this one. And this, of course, uh, from Pulp Fiction. This is Butch. Uh, Bruce Willis is singing along to this as he's driving his Volkswagen Golf or a Rabbit or something. And he thinks he's finally in the clear after getting his watch from the apartment and, and killing Vincent. And he's now, everything's going to be smooth sailing from here on. And he stops at a light and he sees Bing Rames crossing the street with a a box of donuts and a cup of coffee. And by the way, that sequence of Bing Rames crossing at a crosswalk and looking in the car window is, uh, that is a shot for shot lift from Psycho. Where uh, Janet Lee is trying to get out of town with the money and her boss crosses in front of her car at a stoplight and looks and sees her in the car. And I have to tell you, God's honest truth, I was driving uh, back to Southeast the other day, and I have on my uh, MP3 player just this thing called the 500 Country Mix, and it's 500 of my favorite country songs all mixed together. And this came up as I was driving home. It was maybe two weeks ago. And, of course, not only am I singing along, but I'm doing the Bruce Willis thing of doing that kangaroo, where I'm doing like the low part, because in my mind's eye, I, yes, am Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis also quoted uh, lyrics from this in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Kind of a callback to... Uh... Excellent. This is a creepy song, by the way, because it's about a guy in a room going crazy. Yeah. People don't really realize how disturbing the song is. These are the top five songs forever changed by their inclusion in a Quentin Tarantino film. Tim Riley? Number three, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Here's Urge Overkill. You'll be a woman. I think it was Neil Diamond had the hit with this. Yeah, it was originally a Neil Diamond song from 1967, and Urge Overkill recorded this version for the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. And this is uh, Uma Thurman as Mia Wallace dancing around her living room after returning from from, uh, Jackrabbit Slims and uh, sitting on the couch. And, and she around. has a great look where she rolls open the bag, yeah. and she just—I don't even think she says anything. She just kind of has that little like, huh? And you just—and I remember just thinking like, oh God, no! You know that sinking <laughs> feeling. We were talking earlier about observe and report, and how when the final, when the final sequence of observe and report is done, and it goes to the title card at the end, observe and report. I felt like an adrenaline rush, like somebody had startled me. That kind of where you feel like really energetic, but at the same time you feel real jittery. At the end of the overdose sequence in Pulp Fiction, when Eric Stoltz is like jamming the yeah. needle into her or whatever, I remember everybody in the theater, it was where the sequence ended and you realized that you had curled yourself into a ball and you were just sort of climbing into your chair. I mean, wow. Jesus, what an amazing film. I wish I could go back and see that again without any knowledge of how it how it unfolds. These are the uh, top five songs uh, forever changed by their inclusion in a Quentin Tarantino film. Tim Riley? Number two, Mr. Lou. Of course. And a great way to open Pulp Fiction, too, because at the time, the surf music was really, it wasn't in vogue at all. Yeah. And it announced that the movie you were going to see was quite unlike anything you'd ever seen in a theater. And this, all on its own, this is a fascinating song. It actually was originally recorded in 1927 in Greece. It's a... uh, a Greek uh, Rebetica, I believe is what it's called, song. Uh, Greek refugees from Turkey uh, wrote this song. 
Miserlou with uh, M-I-S-I-R. It was actually a song about a cross-faith, cross-race uh, Muslim Egyptian woman. So it was quite racy for the time. Re-recorded as a jazz record in the 40s, and it became hugely popular in Near Eastern nightclubs in the 1940s. And then Dick Dale's uh, father is Lebanese-American, so he had grown up hearing the jazz version in his home, and he recorded it uh, again as a surf surf guitar song. And this song is actually so compelling that uh, it got everybody to sort of sit through a long opening credit sequence, which is kind of hard to do these days, because post-Last Action Hero... Credits uh, started happening at the end of films, and it was very difficult to get an audience to sit still. But of course, Tarantino, being Tarantino, was able to do it. And it is just a great, brilliant piece of music. It really is. These are the top five songs forever changed by their inclusion in the Quentin Tarantino film. Tim Riley, number one, stuck in the middle, you, stuck in the middle with you from yeah. Steelers Wheel. Of course. Yep. Ever listen to K. Billy's Super Sounds of the seventies? Jesus. Boy, this sequence is still hard to watch. I mean, it yes. does, it has not lost one ounce of its punch. Yeah, I, watch this. I looked it up on fiction with the needle stabbing. I looked it up on YouTube and walked watched it again last night. It was the same thing where I was just kind of curling yeah. in on myself and going, ah, as he's as Michael Madsen doing his oh, dance wow. with the straight razor in his hand, and it's just oh, it's devastating. Now, let me just say this. Now I'm uh, I'm not a woman, uh, but it does seem to me. That when you're watching uh, Reservoir Dogs, am I correct in thinking that Michael Madsen, uh, as evil as he is, is hot because he's evil? You were talking about that, wasn't that even yesterday? You were talking about Michael Madsen and how th- hot you thought he was? I don't think so. I, I've, th- I've always found Michael Madsen hot in that that skeezy bad boy, like, you know, getting involved with him is a bad, bad idea sort of a way. Just, just as... An actor, as a person, he just he just has that way about it. He seems he like, like looks like Tom Sizemore. To I me. could totally see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. except yeah. now Tom Sizemore completely skeezes me out. So. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Excellent, fantastic. Well done, Don Taylor. Thank you very much. All right, you can read uh, Don Taylor's musings and so forth at Cinematical, uh, and you also have uh, uh, CinemaSideshow.com is my personal and uh, st- still underutilized uh, blog, but you can find my writings there. Excellent. Don Taylor, ladies and gentlemen. Straight ahead, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com and Ron Jeremy weighing in on the death of Marilyn Chambers. The Rick Emerson Show. Stay there. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. It is uh, Tuesday morning. Just uh, moments from now, we will talk to TMZ's Katie Darrell. Tim Riley will have headlines later on this hour. We will talk to Ron Jeremy about the passing of Marilyn Chambers. And then coming up at uh, 9, it is Smells Like the 90s with our good friend Buzz. Uh, this is the part of the program when I apologize profusely for failing to obtain Katie Darrell's intro music. So uh, as uh, the character says in Gung Ho, uh, these are ribbons of shame. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from TMZ. Katie Darrell, please accept my profound apologies. You know what? It's okay. I'm this time. All right. Okay. This is, uh, it won't happen again. You know what? And I'll, I'll go say three Hail Marys in an act of contrition. Right? <laughs> uh, you're a guilty Catholic. That's the way I <laughs> like them. There's no other kind. What, uh, what is going on in the uh, world of TMZ, Katie Darrell? Well, there's always something new. Uh, and obviously the big story yesterday that broke uh, twofold. Uh, we have Phil Spector, obviously um, guilty of murder. And then we also have Mel Gibson filing divorce. So a lot being shaken up. Oh, and we've got some uh, information about the Mile High Club. Where do you want to start? Uh, I I think all good things begin with the Mile High Club. So uh, we'll go from there and we'll end with uh, with Mel Gibson. Oh, I thought we were going to end with murder. All right. Um, so we've got Justin Timberlake the other day. We caught him uh, jumping on an airplane, uh, going to Las Vegas. Turns out he flies southwest. So TNC then had to, you know, do a big, you know, 
We're investigative journalists here, so we had to dig deep to find out, you know, what other celebs have been flying southwest, you know, due to the economy or just due to preference, because some people just really like peanuts and chicken picking their own seat. And uh, it turns out Justin Timberlake is not the only person flying southwest. We've uh, caught uh, Brad Pitt doing it before. We've caught Lady Gaga doing it before, Paula Abdul. Basically, we've got an entire gallery. There's about 35 celebs that we know have flown southwest uh, while being a celebrity. They've chosen not to do first class. And uh, it's a huge expose. It's highly complicated. You probably wouldn't understand. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it seems like very layered and nuanced. Um, so and just... So we'll do that, and then I, the only reason I say the Mel Gibson thing actually is because that is uh, I'm dangling that there like the uh, carrot for myself at the end because we have a long hatred uh, of Mel Gibson. We have a long history of disliking him intensely on this show. Really? So I'm just he, here's the thing about Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson is one of those guys. He seems like like an absolute bastard in almost every way, but he makes movies that I love. So I have this. So what is that thing where I? Because you, you love Waterworld, or no? That was that was that Kevin Costner. No, you're thinking Sorry. Kevin Costner and Dennis Hopper. Um, but but Mel Gibson makes really compelling movies, but he just seems like he would be a totally and thoroughly unlikable person. And apparently Mrs. Gibson uh, agrees with that assessment. Yeah, so does the Malibu Police Department, if you remember the rant that, that he went right. on during his DUI. Right. So, uh, so uh, I'll let you kind of proceed in whatever order. I know you've got the, the Phil Spector thing, which is, he's looking at what, like 18 years or 15 or something? Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. First off, we love the Phil Spector uh, mugshot. you got to check this out at TMZ.com. Then again, it's probably been all over the news anyways, but uh, he looks like a fish in a bowl. It's pretty crazy. Um, yet he was uh, convicted of second-degree murder in the death of Lana Clarkson. Uh, the court found him uh, guilty of the gun, him, him personally using the gun that killed her. Um, he was taken into custody. Sentencing is going to be scheduled for May 29th. So, yes, like you said, uh, th there's speculation of how much time it will serve, but that hasn't been officially confirmed. And you never know. I mean, this has been one of those cases that's been going on forever that um, I wouldn't be shocked if it, it gets put off for a long time. There's a lot of probation and, and schmoozing around in there. Well, if he, you know, if he goes to prison, it's not. I mean, look, he's not like the picture of health uh, as it stands. So it Give seems the guy like a glass of milk, right? <laughs> that is that is just. A, it seems like a a de facto life sentence uh, if they finally stick that guy in a hole somewhere. So, uh, and then Mel Gibson. The, the headline I saw was just that it could be the most expensive divorce in the history of Hollywood, which really is saying something. So I don't know if that's true or if that's just a hyperbola or whatever. Well, I mean, okay, here's what's interesting. is In the state of California, first off, um, Mel and his wife don't have a prenup. And, and even so, in the state of California, um, everything's divided. It's, it's a no-fall, and things are divided 50-50 at this point. Uh, Mel Gibson, you remember when he, he did that uh, big uh, uh, Passion of the Christ movie and all that? He ended up pulling in something like, $800, $900 million is what this guy's Jesus. now worth. Um, and him and his wife, they've been married for so many years. Uh, she, she's basically raised a family. There's seven kids, one of which is a minor. Um, there's a lot of money at stake here. It's really interesting because it's important to know when the couple actually separated because that's when the earnings, you know, cut off is. Right, right. And uh, she, she has not filed what the separation official date is. However, Mel Gibson did. He basically said it was about a month after he got uh, charged with that DUI back in 2006. Uh, and he's had plenty of movies that have uh, come out after that point, uh, including a lot of DVD sales for The Passion of Christ. Well, I mean, so, the, the good news is that if this really, um, if this really continues uh, to go uh, south for him, then maybe it'll push him into some sort of another uh, another breakdown, and that will be for the amusement of us all. We can only hope. All right, excellent. Katie Darrell from TMZ, always a pleasure. We'll speak to you with introductory music next week. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. Katie Darrell, ladies and gentlemen.
It is uh, 503-733-2970. Very quickly, Tim Riley, what headlines are we working on this morning? Breaking news. Officers are investigating a possible homicide in North Portland. They are racing to the scene at North Chase Avenue, just south of Columbia Boulevard. Oregon's unemployment rate passes 12%, the highest since 1947. And porn star Marilyn Chambers is found dead in her Los Angeles home. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Ron Jeremy about the life, death, and legacy of Marilyn Chambers. This is The Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. This is Rock 101 It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Draw near and pay heed that you might be entertained by Tim Riley at the news desk. In the news with Tim Riley. Well, those pirates were a vengeance, and now they have it. They've captured 60 new hostages and taken over three more ships. Officers rushing to the scene of a possible homicide in North Portland. They are there at the scene right now. North Chase. Just south of Columbia Boulevard. That's all we know at the moment. Here's another snuff watch. Here's your snuff watch for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Look over here. <coughs> Fantastic. Aging Matt Peterson. Here's Tim Riley with your snuff watch for Tuesday. Adult star Marilyn Chambers found dead. Found dead at her home in the Kenyon County area of Los Angeles. The autopsy pending to determine how she died. A 56-year-old, that's what they say, she's 56, broke into the porn industry, appearing in the 1972 film Behind the Green Door. The first widely released pornographic film in the world. Now, is that true? What year that's was that? That's what they claim. It was what year? 72. So what year was uh, what year did Deep Throat come out? Oh, what because there was, there's three. There, mm-hmm. I, I believe there are three films. Mm-hmm. Because see, uh, we, were, I think we were talking about this uh, the other day with, um, well, maybe it was on the air. We were talking about Jenna Jameson and how she really. Oh, you know what it was? It was when we were at that. It was when we were at Fantasy uh, for Adults Only. We were the, for the Bo Breedlove thing, and uh, Sarah and her friend Kelsey and I were there, and we were talking about how, um, for you know, for, for all of you know the kind of uh, you know the images or the stereotypes about the porn industry, how. Especially now, a lot of the women in the in uh, who go into the field of porn, I mean, they're really, honestly, very attractive. I mean, they're truly beautiful women, which well, yeah, wasn't always the case. A lot of times, it was just sort of like you know, guys and girls both. It was they were kind of skeezy looking, and there was just Deep Throat was also seventy two. I mean, well, so so that's probably it's you know sort of a bit of a you know neck and neck thing there to try to you know mm-hmm. establish which came first. But just as Jenna Jameson was the dividing line between porn being an acceptable mainstream career choice, which it is to some degree now. I mean, you got to realize that Jenna Jameson herself. Had a billboard in Times Square. Uh, I mean, she was like hawking some shoes or something she was selling. And that's why I think you're getting so many people who go into porn who then have some sort of mainstream success. She legitimized it to some degree. But before that, the other dividing line was the, the, the early 70s where there was the trifecta. There was Deep Throat, Behind the Green Door, and Debbie Does Dallas. And those were the three porn films that kind of broke into the mainstream, which is especially astonishing when you consider the fact there was no home video. When the, the, the internet or on the DVD, uh, you know, the DVD market, you, you had to go to a movie theater and be seen buying a ticket to see Behind the Green Door. And that people did that, and that people did that in record numbers is pretty astounding, actually. 
Um, I saw behind the green door, I think once, and it was pretty recently. It was like maybe 10 years or so ago. Uh, because I had never seen it, even though it was apparently so legendary. Um, I think it was made by, was that made by the, the, what's it, the Mitchell brothers or those guys from that, they run that San Francisco, there's that famous porn theater in San Francisco and one of the brothers killed the other one or whatever. But it was, you know, one of the movies that was financed in kind of a shady fashion and made all of this off the books money. Marilyn Chambers also made a porn film called Insatiable, uh, which features a guy, by the way, who looks just like Tony Danza. And it's a little, di- I mean, it's, not that it's like that arousing of a film anyway, because it's the 70s and there's just a lot of unpleasant hair everywhere. But the, the the inclusion of a guy who looks like Tony Danza really makes it almost impossible to find the film sexy, just like in, in any way. So, well, she, uh, Her real name was Marilyn Ann Taylor, found at around 9 p.m. Sunday in the 16,000 block of Vasquez Canyon Road. She probably died of natural causes, says the police chief. The autopsy will be performed either today or tomorrow. Final note about Marilyn Chambers. Um, there was a certain degree of controversy and scandal, even you know, leaving aside the fact that she was a porn actress. And this is one of those things that people sometimes think is an urban legend because it sounds like it, and it's not. Marilyn Chambers was, in fact, the model on the cover of the Ivory Soap Box. Yes, she was. Uh, at, in, the, at the time she made that really? movie. At the time she made the porn film. You can go to Snopes and you can actually see. I mean, if you have um, one of the actual vintage, it was a box of Ivory Soap Flakes. If you actually have a vintage Ivory Soap Box and it's uh, Marilyn Chambers on the front holding a baby. If you have one of those, I, mean, it's, it's, I think it's worth a pretty staggering amount of money because, of course, I, Procter & Gamble or whatever the company was. You know, they picked her because she had a very sweet, angelic kind of girl next door, kind of a fresh-faced beauty, which is especially uh, unique in the uh, – and especially unique isn't linguistically correct, but you know what I mean. It was very unheard of in the world of porn. But she's on the front of the ivory box, and this movie comes out. This is behind the green door, and I think at the time you would make a porn film, and you kind of figured nobody would ever see it because, again, there's no internet. There's no DVD. You know, you're going to make a few bucks, and it's probably going to go in a shoebox, and nobody's ever going to know. Well, it became such a huge crossover hit that one day some guy walks into the Procter and Gamble office. He's like, "Um, is this uh, this this woman in this movie? Is this the same woman on the ivory soapbox?" And they said, "By God, it is!" And they pulled it all off the market, and those uh, then escalated in value by just a staggering sum. So, if you got one of those, you uh, you hold on to it. All right, Marilyn Chambers dead at fifty six. Still ahead, porn legend Ron Jeremy weighs in on Marilyn Chambers. This is Tim Riley at the news desk. Phil Spector is found guilty. Guilty of the crime of second-degree murder of Lana Clarkson. He could get 18 years, if not more. So this photograph of him that everybody's talking about, was it taken after... It was after the verdict, right? It's as, yeah. they're, as they're booking him into the slam. Mm-hmm. Because that would explain the sort of um, dazed and begoggled expression that he has on his face. It does look like he was shot through a fisheye lens or something. It's like, how could I not get away with this? <laughs> I'm Phil Spector. Come on. Uh, he, he has that look. I'm surprised they even let that be his photo. Although I guess you know, once you once you've already been arrested and convicted, and they're putting you in jail, I guess it doesn't really matter if, if you know if there's a lot of clarity in the photograph because he's doing that thing of kind of looking up underneath his eyes, like he's got his head tilted down and he's looking up as though he's attempting to appear menacing. It, it doesn't really work though because he's got like that weird. It's like a page boy meets the Ludwig von Beethoven hair that he had. 
And it's also very wispy. And plus, it's like his face is just coming to an absolute point. I mean, it really is like it's like you're being looked at by a cuttlefish or a letter opener or something. All right. So that's uh, Phil Spector. He's going to jail. Time for Geek Watch. Here's your Geek Watch for Tuesday on The Rick Emerson Show. High-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the Quasar Dilemma, remember you used... Just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but... Because we were wondering if the quantum flux... And I just listen on there. There is no quantum flux. I'm going to no go watch this today. There's no and I want to know who that kid is. Shit! You it says, it? uh... I guess it was Justin Long. Is that the kid who says, <laughs> right, is mm-hmm. he the... Because that's the same... Is that the same kid that shows up later? They call him at home... And and uh, and what's his name? Tim Allen says, "Look, it's all real. Everything is real." And the kid goes, "I knew it." Is that the same kid who, at the beginning, is asking about the the quantum flux or whatever it is? Oh man, I've only seen that movie once, so I'm not <sighs> willing to stake everything. You lie, that. Sarah Dillon. All right. Well, uh, here's your geek watch. Twitter will numb your sense of morality and make you indifferent to human suffering. Before the brain can fully digest the anguish and suffering of a story. It is being bombarded with the next news bulletin or the latest Twitter update. I'm sick of the story. Move on. If things happen too fast, you may not fully experience emotions in other people's psychological states. I'll kill you if you don't move on to the next story. Brain scan shows humans can process and respond very quickly to signs of physical pain of others, but it takes longer to show admiration or compassion. Talk faster or I'll cut off your legs. Stay away from the Twitter. I swear to God, I'll murder you. By Grabthar's hammer, by the sons of Warvan, I shall avenge you. Next. Loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Don't forget, before the top of the hour, we will give away another pair of tickets to see Queensryche this coming Saturday, April 18th at the Roseland. You'll also win entry to a private listener-only KUFO performance with Queensryche earlier in the day. Sponsored by Miller Lite, the best-tasting light beer, triple hopped for great taste. Uh, and tickets are on sale now at all Tickets West outlets. So that is uh, that is coming up for the top of the hour. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, the one, the only, the legendary Ron Jeremy joining us now. The phone. Good morning, Ron. How are you, sir? That was a lovely introduction. The only thing missing from it, of course, was was uh, this. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, one never quite knows. Uh, <laughs> one never, one never quite knows what to expect when one is uh, talking to Ron Jeremy. We've had, we've talked to you a few times, and the, here's the thing about about. Uh, I was going to talk about you. Uh, here's the thing about Ron Jeremy. But the thing about you is that you have never, I think, lost sight of the fact that you are, uh, I think as you put it to me last time, just one of the luckiest guys who's ever walked uh, the earth. You really have uh, really embraced that. You uh, you wake up every day with a gleam in your eye. Well, thank you for that. Let me ask you your thoughts about uh, Marilyn Chambers. Who, uh, well, the gleam from... got a little bit hurt by that because it was so unexpected. You know, she was so liked by everybody. Uh, you know, um, and I had done a, just done a recent movie with her called Porn Dogs, Story of Sadie, where we did uh, voiceovers for actual live-action doggies. It was really a funny canine film, and um, mainstream. And then uh, we were going to do a play together in New York, an off-Broadway play starting in July with possibly Joe Piscopo. And this comes as a huge shock, because she seemed pretty happy. She seemed pretty healthy. She had money. Well, they say she lived in a trailer, but she wasn't poor. Uh, just so was things a shock. Did, so, Marilyn, did she seem you know she was comfortable with you know with her past? She didn't. She seemed grounded as a person. She didn't seem to have yeah, any yeah, any issues. Also, the nicest to work with. If you look at my autobiography, which is pretty funny, I actually listed her as my top ten favorite people to work with. She was right up there. She always was, even though she was the queen of her day. She was the Jenna Jameson of her era, with a lot of mainstream credits, by the way. She, um, you know, she never had that prima donna attitude. She'd be very helpful to the male actor, you know. 
In terms of uh, in terms of mainstream influence, uh, behind the green door, would you say it's more or less significant than Deep Throat? About the same. I think Deep Throat, in all honesty, was more because of the huge prosecutions that went on with the, uh, the they had the witch the, child, the trial I think it was in Wichita mm-hmm. with the fact that you know, Linda Lovelace they banned it. That famous headline I think it was on the New York Times or the Daily News, where it's, it was the judge ordered the film taken out of the theater, the World Theater. So the headline read, Judge Cuts Throat, World Mourns. That's <laughs> funny. Back at, I mean, headlines around the world. So In the 70s? The show got more famous did than, you, than, than Malin's two films behind the green door are insatiable. But all of them are considered cult classics in the world of porn. And at the time, did you ever, could you have anticipated that porn would go so mainstream? Did it ever even no. occur to you? Well, look at Malin. Look, besides, you know, the fact that she did porn, she also was on the cover of every ivory soapbox in America holding a baby. Mm-hmm. Remember that? And, and she also was in the film Rabbit, directed by David Cronenberg, produced by Ivan Reitman. So, uh, Ghostbusters. so she had huge credits. We're uh, talking to Ron Jeremy, and uh, actually coming out today on DVD, there's a movie, uh, the, uh, it's uh, American Swing is the name of the movie, and it's a documentary that covers, speaking of the 70s, uh, the swing era, specifically Plato's Retreat, which was... It was a, I don't know if it was an exclusive club or if it was just, it was an upper crust club, but it was a, well, it was a. Public, you just had to pay to get in, or they called it a donation. You just had to go coupled. Single girls could go alone, but guys had to bring a girl because they wanted to keep the odds friendly. Right. And it would, they would, you could go there for the buffet, the fancy, you know, the food, the drinks, the TV shows they have on widescreen, the pool, the jacuzzi, hang out, watch couples. Or do what's known as swinging, where you'd find another couple and you know maybe change partners, maybe get a little playful. There were all just degrees of swinging. There's a misconception that you'd go and really swap wives or husbands. It didn't work like that. Sometimes it would, but often couples would go who had never been there before, who just came from Studio 54 or stopping by Plato's before going home, and they, they would just watch. Maybe they'd just do a little bit of fondling with another couple, and that's the extent of it. You know, there are all degrees of how they would choose to swing, you know. What? It was the biggest, best, and best-known club in the world. In in your opinion, was uh, in the 70s, was it still a reaction to the 50s that fueled this, or was it drugs, or was it something else? It was the sexual revolution. It was the whole hippy-dippy era of free of sex and, you know, breaking the whole monogamy attitude, you know. It was a rebellious thing, but it was a sexual thing. You know, it was the same basic thing as Studio 54, which is funny, I'm in that movie too, by the way, with Mike Meyer and Salma Hayek. It was the same, same attitude. You know, it was that whole New York City disco, because it was dancing at Plato's, they had a huge disco. Uh, it was that whole era of just, you know, it's funny, I never thought of that before, but there was a, a similarity, because even at 54, they had couches in the back where you'd right. dance on the dance floor and then maybe do some making out in the back couches, maybe in the back room. So it was kind of sexual. But Plato's no holes barred. We're talking to... Uh, have a room with a mattress and go the distance, you know? Talking to Ron Jeremy, the documentary uh, American Swing comes out today on, on DVD. What, f- from your perspective, what was the uh, <sighs> the ending moment of that period of excess? Was it was it AIDS? Was it law enforcement? What brought the end to that? Wait, hold on a second. Hold on, please. Hold on. Yeah. I'll just uh, amuse myself here. Give me the fuller brush man. Ron Jeremy. I don't think the fuller brush man exists. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Yes. Uh, but when you look back now, what was the dividing line where it all came down? Was it law enforcement or AIDS or a combination of that or something else? Yeah, well, that's exactly what happened. Because again, the movie just not only chronicles the club, it chronicles Larry Levinson, the owner, and his whole fighting with the mob, getting his legs broken, going to jail for tax evasion. 
and then he being closed down by the city because of HIV. And the thing is, he didn't have any cases. They had a lot of cases at the gay clubs. And basically, he was closed down because Mayor Koch wanted to look fair. Mm -hmm. I'm going to close gay clubs like the Ramrod and the Anvil. I'm going to close Plato's, which is a heterosexual club. The only thing is, there were no cases at Plato's, and there were many, many cases at those other clubs. So it was a very unfair thing to do, you know, but that basically shut him down for good. Uh, when you look back at the 70s, you feel like the excess is overstated? Was it really just in small pockets, or was, was there a generational thing kind of everywhere you went where it was in the air? I'd say it's second. It was kind of generational. It was in the air. It was an attitude, you know. Uh, so, yes, I'd say it was, uh, it was yes. It was more like uh, an attitude, a feeling. Uh, it was, you know, many years earlier, it was an against the war. It was a hippie thing. It was Woodstock. I think it was all part of that whole era, I think. You know, I think it's been chronal, uh, uh, documented to be as such, would you think? Yeah, I, well, and I think if you look back through uh, through a certain prism, it, that is gets focused on so much. And as somebody who, you know, it wasn't there and I could have missed out on it, you think to yourself, well, is this just being amplified by history? Or was it something that just permeated uh, all the communities everywhere? And I get the sense that there was just a vibe. There was almost something in the in the water. Uh, uh, yes, I actually agree with you. Because even though someone might not like it, it allowed it to be there. Again, you're talking about New York City which was probably at that time, maybe still is one of the more liberal cities in America. It might not have worked if it started out in, say, in uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. But since Plato's in New York, it then did spread to other cities. And there was like a swing club virtually everywhere in America and all over the world. Probably almost every city in America today probably has some form of swing club or swing house or couples that advertise and they, they do that. Um, Ron Jeremy, the uh, movie American Swing comes out on DVD uh, today. If people want to find you online, what is the uh, best way to do so? Rum Jungle takes the art of food and entertainment to new levels. <laughs> Stylish yet way over the top. Wow. What is going on? I have no idea. Am I being transferred to a Time Life operator who will gladly assist me in the order that my call was received? Uh oh. Oh, this seems like it could go so. Hello? Hello, hi. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Uh. Well, it seems to be happening on your end. Were you on like a Bluetooth and now I'm on a handheld or am I. Uh, no, you're still on the same phone. I'm just having a lot of. This, that's that's okay. Well, I've been having swamped. I wanted to plug the movie, and I'm being hit with Marilyn Chambers stuff. More sure, it's online. busy. Day for you. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. I know you got a busy day. If people want to find you online, Ron Jeremy, how can they do so? Well, also I have a little cameo in that film coming out called Crank, Crank Two, Jason Statham. I just saw the preview for that last night. Yeah, as I'm a matter of fact, I have a little cameo in that. It's a very funny one too. Never a dull but moment. Yeah, so. you can go to myspace.com/slash Ron Jeremy. Excellent. All right, Ron Jeremy. Yeah, the thing that I think about the film that I always. I think is what I find to be the most interesting is they made the film look friendly and warm and, and, and you know, made it, it actually put a family attitude into a film that involves a lot of flesh, you know? In terms of, uh, in terms of American swing. Yeah, like you show, yeah, you show yeah. Levinson, like having talent contests, dance contests, people would sing, they dance, they do comedy, mm. watch TV, do fun things that didn't involve sex. They sort of create like a, a fun friendly kind of atmosphere. I think Plato's, the movie shows that a lot. Excellent. It's out on DVD today. Ron Jeremy, thank you. As always, have a uh, fantastic day, my friend. There you go. Ron Jeremy. Ladies and gentlemen, myspace.com slash Ron Jeremy. I forgot about that aspect. Did you, Did we all just completely forget about that until we were knee-deep no, no, in the no. phone I call? I remember the crazy. We've met him many a time. Well, it's not so much crazy as no, it is. No, he's a relentless self-pimper, which is awesome. I had sort of forgotten about the, uh, the uh, once... Uh, once, once you pull the uh, the Ron Jeremy string, uh, he sort of talks oh, into the string. High self esteem, which it, is fine. He really does. Well, we all know why. Also, a little crazy. Yes. <laughs> all right, there you go, Ron Jeremy, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, 
It's all coming back to me. Uh, straight ahead, we will give away another pair of tickets to see Queensryche Saturday, April 18th. We're going to take caller number 10 right now for your shot at Queensryche trivia for those tickets. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Caller 10 will play Queensryche trivia for a shot at those tickets right here on the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Rick Emerson. Oh, oops, are his niche. The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thanks Isn't for coming Is it times like on. that you wish we were filming between commercials? Really. The things that get discussed in the studio and the number of things that get discussed uh, here during breaks that involve, um, well, vomit. It's 503-733-2970. It is the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, let's uh, go to the phones, ladies and gentlemen. Another uh, shot of giving away Queen's Life tickets. We're going to be at the Roseland this Saturday, and we're also giving away entry to a private listener-only KUFO performance with Queensryche earlier in the day at an undisclosed location. Tickets on sale now at all Tickets West Outlets, and the uh, whole shebang sponsored by Miller Lite, best-tasting light beer, triple hopped for great taste. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Caller 10. Your name is what, sir? Mike. Hello, Mike. How are you today? Good, good. How are you doing? I am fantabulous. Are you a Queensryche fan, my friend? I like Queensryche, yes. All right. Sir, I am going to give you a multiple-choice question. This involves Queensryche and one of their most famed recordings. If you can answer this correctly, uh, you will go to see them at the Roseland this Saturday, and you'll get entry to the private listener-only performance by Queensryche, sponsored by Miller Lite. On the, on the classic Queensryche album, Operation Mindcrime, which of the following does not make an appearance as a character? Which of the following characters does not appear on Operation Mindcrime, the character of Nikki, the character of Dr. X, the character of Senator Allen, or the character of Mary? Uh, I'm going to say the character of Mary. I'm sorry, my friend, that is... Oh! Egreed- I was like, that was great. That was almost like a, what's his name, Harold Perrin going, Walt! I'm lost. <laughs> All right, my apologies, my friend, but uh, better luck next okay. time. Thank you, Thank sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. We'll do uh, one more here, because uh, to do more than that would be unfair, because then by definition, you just, you know, the odds increase, blah, blah, blah. Uh, hello, uh, what is your name, sir or madam, as the case may be? Paul. Hello, Paul. All right, here's the same question to you. On the album Operation Mindcrime, which of the following characters does not make an appearance? Nikki, Dr. X, Senator Allen, or Mary? That would be Senator Allen. Well done, my friend. Now, is that it? You have to admit uh, right now in front of God and everybody. Was that a guess, or do you know? I know. Uh, I now, now, you've already won, but I just want you to demonstrate your mind uh, crime trivia. Please now to give me some other piece of information that only a mind crime Queensryche fan would know. Oh, let's see. Let Mary gets killed, of course. Spoilers, lol. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> all right, no, 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 not at all. All right, my friend, thank you, and congratulations. You are going to see Queensryche this Saturday, April 18th. You're also going to a private listener-only KUFO performance with Queensryche, sponsored by Miller Lite. Congratulations, sir. Awesome, thanks. All right, put you on hold. Uh, Nibbler, if you will uh, get that guy's info. All right, see, I feel good about that, because now I know it wasn't just because the odds were increased because the last guy ruled out one of the answers. I would have felt like an ass. Mm-hmm. It is the Rick Emerson Show. We conclude around the corner. It's Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show continues next on Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. I cannot tell you how many times somebody will be walking by and they go, Whoa! This is Rock 101 KUFO. Whoa! 
It is the uh, saddest uh, segment of the broadcasting day. It is the final portion of the Rick Emerson Show for this Tuesday. Tim Riley, what were today's biggest headlines? Oregon's unemployment rate passes the 12% mark. A strip club for youngsters is charged with serving alcohol to the kids. And the last of the Octotots goes home. Octotots. <laughs> with a side it's of ranch, please. <laughs> yeah. mm, seasoned for me. Good God Almighty. All right. We want to thank Ron Jeremy. We want to thank Katie Darrell from TMZ, Don Taylor from Cinematical, uh, also Cena Radio correspondents Jim Roop and Steve Kastenbaum. And uh, this is all true. Rick Emerson show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for Rock 101 KUFO. In the newsroom, Tim Riley in the phones, Greg Nibbler of the Niblonians. Uh, the gatekeepers, Dave Zinn, the webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Don't F With Me Reynolds, executive producer, one Christopher J. Paddock. Smells like the 90s. Coming up next with our good friend Buzz is, uh, is the Rick Emerson show. It's April 14th, 2009, and that is The Frequency. Kenneth, thanks for listening. Be safe. See you all tomorrow. Bye now. Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area, your daily show prep is now concluded. Thank you for listening.